Xbox On. Welcome to Xbox On, a podcast with one host about one console, Xbox. I'm said host, Jesse DeRosa, and on today's episode, we'll be talking about the latest Xbox news for the week of October 14th, 2021, including new details on Obsidian's upcoming game, Avowed, emerge, the GTA collection has finally been confirmed, can FIFA make it without FIFA, and more. the hell are you doing listening to this podcast don't you know back for blood is now available on xbox game pass through uh, your xbox game pass subscription on xbox one home console xbox series x and s home console with series x and s improvements including 4k resolution and adjustable of frames per second or probably some feature like that don't you know back for blood is currently available now through xbox game pass on pc guys Welcome to Xbox On, a podcast about Back for Blood, a new game that is the spiritual successor to the beloved Left for Dead, which of course released in 2008, which was one of the years of our Lord and Savior. I would say the range of 07 to 09 or 2010 was basically the range of like God tier games. We had everything from, I don't know, Halo 3 to Left 4 Dead, to Sonic Unleashed, Mario Galaxy. Was Bioshock 06 or 07? We got fucking Guitar Hero 3 and World Tour. We got Sonic Colors, Sonic Unleashed. I already said Sonic Unleashed. We had Call of Duty World at War, which of course introduced our beloved Zombies mode. We had some of the, some Mass Effect game in there somewhere. There's a lot of games, okay? There's an Uncharted game somewhere in that mix. Lots of lots of great games that forever changed the industry. But we're not talking about 2008 because now it's 2021 and we're getting Back for Blood, which is, by all accounts, a modernized, fresh, pretty version of Left 4 Dead in the year 2021, but technically not as fun. And we'll get to that later. But I want to, of course, start the show off with a big congrats to the team at Turtle Rock for the launch of the new game. A big win for us X-Bots that we now have this awesome, awesome zombie multiplayer shooter available just in time for Halloween. Absolutely included without any additional purchase being necessary, uh, which is always one of the coolest perks of playing on Xbox. Now, with that out of the way, guys, I want to open this week's show. Listen, I'll, I'll be really frank with you. There are some weeks where I hit record and I'm like, damn, I'm kind of pumped. I'm kind of pumped to talk about Xbox this week. I'm in a very Xbox mood. I'm really excited about the news. I'm really excited about getting to connect with all you guys. And then there were some weeks like this week where I'm like, I know once I'm like in my groove, I'm going to be enjoying the podcast. And once the podcast is up and I'm getting feedback and you guys are commenting and we're interacting, I'm going to enjoy having put out the podcast. But right now, in this very moment, at this at the start of it all, woof. I want to be playing Back for Blood. <laughs> I also want to be playing Metroid Dread. But again, we'll get to that later. Stop. Stop, guys. Stop getting us so distracted, okay? So let me open the show with a couple updates. I guess the show's format has been changing a bit because it used to be, you know, open up, corrections, comments, and then we jump into the news. But now it's been like I've been putting this additional tier of news stories at the top where it's like stories that are just kind of like touch-ups or updates or like, it's one of those stories where it's like, did you hear about this? Did you see this? 
that's happening, but it's not really like a full-blown main point of discussion or main topic of the show. So I don't know. I kind of like doing this. I think it makes the show maybe a little more accessible. If it's like, hey, it's an Xbox show, let's start out talking about some Xbox news. And then, you know, this is the light. This is like the appetizer Xbox news. And then after this, we're going to we're gonna get into the comments, which is basically like dessert. And then we're going to jump back into the real news, which is like the entree. So I think that makes sense. I'm also pretty sure that's how the French eat their meals. So, you know, salad, dessert, entree. So I'm pretty sure we've got a pretty good format going here. Guys, before we jump into that, I want to say follow me on YouTube. You can go youtube.com slash C slash Xbox on podcast. Subscribe to the show. Subscribe on your podcast channels. Leave a five-star review. And follow me on Twitch at twitch.tv slash lightning extreme where we're playing every Monday and Thursday playing video games, talking shit, having technical difficulties. It's a grand old time. A handful of you show up, and we always we always end up doing something, whether it's good or bad. Something always happens. Now, with that out of the way, guys, a couple things to address here. So there's a big story that's been going around, and by big story, I mean not a real story that people are just freaking out about because guess what? The uh, trash sites of the world like Kotaku are outraged, and even though they are a complete trash news site, clearly they're doing something right because they're constantly pissing everyone off and, and, and causing everyone to talk about them. So they're, they're clearly, they clearly know how to lean into their, their market, into their, into their brand. So here's Kotaku doing their stupid thing. Now, in all fairness, a lot of other sites were doing this too. Uh, the Gamer and some other sites like that. We're reporting on this. Uh, let's, let's get into it. Far Cry 6 it came out last week. The general consensus seems to be, guess what? It's more Far Cry. I hope you like Far Cry. And that's, you know, that is what it is. But in this Far Cry game set in the fictional world of or uh, land of Yara, which is like, uh, which is like a, a spin of like a Cuba type country. There is a, a thing that takes place in this country called cockfighting. You may be familiar with it if you live in this real world place of, of the modern era where we also have cockfighting. It is a thing that exists uh, generally in like underground kind of closed circles. It's not a it's not a very good thing. It is considered, you know, something that's wildly socially frowned upon. It's pretty illegal. So yeah, cockfighting. You know, people put down money and they they bet money on these chickens that are going to fight each other and stuff like that. It's definitely animal cruelty. It's definitely animal abuse. It's pretty universally considered to be a terrible thing. And uh, there is a mini game in Far Cry 6 where you can partake in cockfighting. And they went as far as to make it play kind of like a like an old like like a like a fighter game, like a like Street Fighter or something like that, or Tekken rather. And it's pretty fucking awesome. It's really goddamn funny. It's really it's really cool. You can now. I haven't played Far Cry Six, so I can't speak to how fun it is. But it, it seems like from the videos and screenshots I've been seeing online, it seems like a really wacky, fun, and silly little thing they added into the game to further flesh out this insane caricature cartoon world of fictional Cuba of Yara that they've built for Far Cry 6. It adds depth. It adds more insanity. It adds more of that campy, goofy craziness that the Far Cry series is so well known and beloved for. It seems like a fun little touch that is one tiny, tiny, tiny piece of this massive game that, you know, you're supposed to like laugh at and be like, oh, that's that's cool. That's funny. That's ridiculous. And move on with your life because chances are you are a legitimate human being who probably like, I don't know, has a mortgage or rent to pay and maybe a child that you're just trying to help survive and make it through this world. You probably have a day job that you are responsible for showing up at and performing at so that you can get a paycheck in exchange for, you know, 
the goods and services that you need to survive, like groceries and medication and gasoline for your car, you know, normal things adults are accustomed to worrying about. Chances are you fall under that category, and therefore you're not really worried about the fact that there's a video game with cockfighting in it. But if you're Kotaku, uh, none of those things are true because you actually live in a tiny little bubble where you're safe from the world and uh, you just you just work for a big dot-com website that just uh, pays you nicely for, for typing out your op-eds on your MacBook Air all day long and just and just espousing your bullshit into the ether online. And therefore, you don't have to think about uh, the real world and the real things that actual people deal with. And you can just bitch and moan about shit like cockfighting in a game where uh, your objective is to literally murder anyone and everyone in your fucking way. So Far Cry 6, a game where you take an AK-47 and then, I don't know, a fucking uh, record player, and you strap it with the AK-47 to make it so that the record player shoots records like fucking like razor discs and, and it just slices people's necks clean off and all that shit. A game where you do that casually to anyone and everyone you encounter, not a problem, but a little funny side minigame where you can have these chickens fighting, taboo. Absolutely not acceptable. And then, of course, you know, our precious PETA had to get involved and uh, start fighting against this this uh, this feature and this mode in the game, and it just became a whole topic of discussion. I don't know what to say about this because I'm confident that 99% of you out there listening are pretty rational human beings, as I've listed here just a minute ago, and you're probably thinking, like, yeah, this is the biggest non-story of all time. This is the dumbest shit. Why are we even talking about this? But I just... It's just so predictable. You know, you see something like this, and you're like, oh, man, someone's going to be offended by this. This, just, this is just going to have to be a controversial topic, right? Someone's going to have to say something. And, and of course, it just, it's that classic thing where it's like, people are just like, this is an offensive depiction of Cuban culture. It's like, okay, you fucking idiot. This game is set in a fictional country that is not Cuba. It is just heavily influenced by Cuba. And you're kind of the fucking idiot here if you're going to assume that them including a cockfighting game is also their way of saying oh yeah this is all cubans do all day is sit around and kill one another and fight chickens to the death and stuff like that it's like you're kind of making a lot of assumptions to to come out here and say that the developers at ubisoft uh who made this game are uh just a bunch of like i don't know bigoted cultural appropriating whatever the fuck it is you want to say because it's like no they they clearly are making yet another far cry game which if you've ever played one you know is just an ab- actually absurd fucking concept of a game and they are amping up that absurdity by you know adding cockfighting into this game it makes perfect sense it is something that is right at home in the far cry formula just like how in far cry 5 your objective is to get in big doom buggies and shit and trick them out like Mad Max vehicles and go flipping off uh, like ramps in the middle of nowhere, middle America and blowing shit up with bald eagles flying around because America, because guess what? What is it? Hope County, Montana, the setting of Far Cry 5 uh, was supposed to be an over-exaggerated caricature of rural America. And guess what? It's fucking funny. It's fun. It's ridiculous. That's the intention. No one was offended about that. So why we gotta be offended about this fake cue ball all of a sudden? Like, actually, chill the fuck out. Honest to God, like, I don't know, man. It's just, and it's almost, it's almost like Ubisoft had to, had to like foresee this kind of inevitable backlash on the horizon because the country is is Yara, which is like a fictionalized version of Cuba instead of just Cuba. Whereas usually it's like a fictionalized town in a real country. Like in Far Cry 4, you are in Nepal. 
in Far Cry 5, you were in the United States of America. But in Far Cry 6, you're not in Cuba. You're just in uh, you're in some place that's kind of like Cuba, but it's not Cuba because if we call it Cuba, we might be you know <laughs> we might we might be a topic of scorn from uh, from outlets like like Kotaku. And well, lo and behold, here they are doing exactly what they do best, exactly what everyone expected of them. And uh, I guess I guess now we're mad about cockfighting. No one gives a shit where you can like skin people's fucking faces off and just like I I don't know like what's some of the crazy shit you can do like I don't know Far Cry is one of those games that's so over the top gruesome and gory and violent and uh just who cares until it's chickens fighting right I don't know so that's that's just something I uh I had a good laugh about that uh, this week uh, in fact I made a little funny tweet uh Sophia Narwitz someone on a popular person in the games industry tweeted something funny just kind of highlighting this situation I thought I thought I'd throw my two cents in there I said um I said this this website is absolutely right that it is inappropriate to be releasing a game with cockfighting in the year 2021 because if they had just delayed it into the year 2022 I think they could have polished it up to the quality of a of quadruple a quality instead of triple a and uh got a got a handful of affirmation likes so made me feel like maybe maybe I'm a goddamn genius maybe I'm I don't know the next uh, fucking who's a funny comedian? What, who do people like? What's a good comedian? Uh, uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson? I don't know. Uh, but anyway, that's the first one. The next one I want to point out. This is now. This is a controversy. I think is absolutely warranted. So Square Enix and Crystal Dynamics have announced that they've added the ability to buy XP and resource collecting boosts with real money in Marvel's Avengers, which is, of course, flying in the face of a promise they made before the game came out, which said that they would never have something like this happen in the game. Following the title's arrival on Game Pass this past week, uh, its in-game marketplace has added the option to buy consumables with credits, but the credits can be bought with real-world money. Consumables can be used temporarily to boost the amount of XP a player gains or increase the number of resources they collect while playing the game, essentially acting like an accelerator to ensure faster progress. And the reason why, of course, this sucks is because you can't just ignore it because generally when things like this are included into the game, the way XP progression works is that things kind of slow down in such a way to entice the player to spend real-world money, which, of course, affects the way the game plays entirely and encourages people to spend money on a game that already costs $60, which is fucking ridiculous. And this is clearly an example of Square Enix and Crystal Dynamics, probably more so Square Enix, looking at this like, hey, bringing this game to Game Pass is kind of like a soft reboot for the game in a way because we're trying to reinvigorate its player base and by giving it to all these players for quote-unquote free through Game Pass, not really, but you know, you know, making lowering that barrier to entry, it justifies our ability to start throwing these kinds of microtransactions into the game because these players are ostensibly getting the game for quote unquote free, not really, as opposed to, you know, the people who pl- played the game a year ago who are those that, you know, bought the game at 60 bucks when it came out. So I see that they're probably trying to do that kind of loop around justification where they're like oh the game's old enough that maybe people forgot about this promise and you know we have all these new players coming in who didn't pay $60 to get their foot in the door so maybe we can you know pull a fast one here but I you know people quickly caught on and are calling bullshit and I think rightfully so this is a pretty scummy thing to do I understand you want to try to find a way to make this game succeed uh, but this isn't lying is not the way to do it or at the very least you know do it anyway but just be honest like just come out and be like, you know, initially our vision for Marvel's Avengers was such, 
the reality is blah, 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 blah. And now with this new opportunity, this kind of re-envisioning of the game, this kind of relaunch of the game, if you will, uh, we're taking this opportunity to kind of reimagine how uh, we've monetized the game in our efforts to try and keep the game going and to continue funding this project that we all love. There's a very easy PR way to try and do this. And I think most people would be like, hey, I understand. I'm not a tiny brained monkey. I can I can get why you're doing this, but trying to be all quiet and sneaky about it, uh-uh. No one likes that. Square Enix, go back two spaces, okay? You you uh, pass go, don't collect $200, you fucker. Okay, gamesindustry.biz has reported that um, Epic Games has finally credited the Among Us developers for the new Fortnite imposter mode, which was a point of controversy when that mode was announced about two months ago because they didn't acknowledge that the game is clear, that the mode is clearly inspired by uh, Among Us. And this even went as far as, you know, some of the developers of Among Us kind of being like, I'm not mad, but I'm kind of salty. But, you know, know, it it was a thing. It was people talked about it. People acknowledged it. And now here's Epic Games kind of doing the right thing in a slow like, you know, this kind of like uh, we'll slip it in there in a a press release kind of kind of way of like, yeah, 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 this Among Us inspired mode. So, well, at least they said something. Right. And then last thing I wanted to mention um, before we jump into the regular run of show is an interview you guys can go read. It's on, I, I got it from Video Games Chronicle, but I think it was originally, it was gamesindustry.biz actually where it came from. And it was PlayStation's president, Jim Ryan, mentioned that he was frustrated that PlayStation games are essentially so limited to just PlayStation hardware. And that basically by having all these games locked exclusively to PlayStation, it limits you know, their ability to reach more players. And of course, this this plays into a lot of what we've seen PlayStation do. And, and there's a reason why we're talking about this. What we've seen PlayStation do in recent months with slowly bringing some older PlayStation 4 titles over to PC uh, with like Horizon Zero Dawn and, and Days Gone and games like that and, and, and Uncharted 4. So this is, I, I, I kind of appreciate this candor in this interview because it's basically Sony's way of acknowledging, hey, you know, there's a lot of money being left on the table, and it's it's not necessarily cannibalizing your home console sales or eating to your home console's market by putting these games on PC. Because we're at the point now where gamers either have have it all, like oh, I have a Switch, I have a PC, I have a PS4, whatever, or you know they they're set in their ways. Like a PC gamer at this point who's never owned a PlayStation console is probably not going to go buy a PS5. It's just not going to happen. But if you put that fucking PlayStation 5 game on PC, there's a good chance that gamer's going to give it a try now because it's accessible via their platform of choice. And I think this is really important to mention because this is basically the ground that Xbox seeded in the Xbox One generation where they basically came out and admitted, hey, we need to support PC. There's no reason for all these Xbox games to not be coming to PC as well. And that's why we saw, you know, about two years into the Xbox One generation and going strong to this day still where it's just like everything that's coming to Xbox is also coming to PC. There's no reason not to support them both. Again, maybe there are a few people out there who are like, oh, I was going to buy a Xbox Series X just for Halo Infinite, or oh, I was going to buy a PS5 just for whatever the next God of War is or something like that. But because the game's coming to PC, I guess I don't have to buy that now. Sure, maybe, but that percentage of people 
is in the grand scheme of things kind of negligible because I think we've gotten to a point where PC gaming has matured to a point and console gaming has matured to a point where people don't play on you know console or PC because of the games that are available, but rather because the preferential, you know, place to play. For example, you know, I don't want to play PC games. I bought a I bought a gaming-capable PC very recently, and outside of streaming, I never play games on this PC because it's a great PC for getting work done. I like editing videos, doing the podcast, doing the streams on it. It's very capable for all those tasks, and I'm really grateful for it. It's a great machine. But when I want to play a video game, I don't want to sit at my desk with a mouse and keyboard, with the same tools that I use to fucking write Microsoft Word documents or, or do PowerPoint presentations, you know? I, I don't wipe my hands with a fork and knife. Just different utensils for different objectives, you know what I mean? So for someone like myself, I want to sit on my couch in front of my TV and hold an Xbox controller because to me, that is the gaming experience. And I think we've gotten to a mature point in gaming where that is the case for most people. There are people out there who want to play games on their PC. I don't care that PlayStation has this game or that game. I want to play a game at an uncapped frame rate with my GTX 3080 Ti 2700 and my liquid cooling neon lights glowing from my case. I want to do all that. I want to be an elite epic gamer. And if I if, if the only way to play this game is on my PlayStation 5 or on an Xbox series console, guess what? I'm not playing the fucking game. And I think Xbox wisely acknowledged that. And maybe Xbox did that because it was a time where the Xbox brand was struggling with the failure, with the failed launch of the series or the uh, Xbox One brand. But regardless of why they did it, it was the right move to make. And clearly it's leading Xbox into the future. We are seeing Series X and Series S quickly outsell you know, the, the Xbox One generation from this point in its respective life cycle, right? And fuck, every Xbox game since like 2016 has come to PC as well, day and date. And I think if you're over at Sony, you're looking at that and you're saying, wow, look at that. Xbox Series X and S are way outselling the Xbox One. And the fact that Gears 5 is on PC, the fact that Microsoft Flight Simulator is on PC, the fact that Halo Infinite's coming to PC didn't affect that. It doesn't fucking matter. I think they're looking at that and they're saying, how can we have our cake and eat it too the way Microsoft is? How can we get in on that? And there's a lot more hesitancy from Sony. You can see it. But they're, they're testing the waters. They're dipping their toes. Now, do I think we're going to see PlayStation in the next few years get to a point where they're releasing their first-party exclusive games day and date on PC the way they do PS4 and 5? No, I don't think so. I think if PlayStation ever does that, we are very far away from that future. But this is the, this is the early beginning of it. This is the embryonic stage. Just the fact that there's an Uncharted game that is about to come to PC, even though it's a five-year-old game. There's an Uncharted game that's coming to PC. That's nuts. Horizon Zero Dawn is available now on PC. Death Stranding, although that one's a little different because it was published. It was published by someone else. By I forget who, but it was published by someone else on PC. But anyway, there are PlayStation exclusive games that have that have migrated over to PC, and they've sold great on PC after exhausting their sales potential on PlayStation. And it hasn't hurt PlayStation sales in any way, shape, or form, as far as we know. And I think this is one of those like. Yeah, Xbox had a great vision and they acted on it. And again, they're setting the example. I don't, I don't know. I, I feel like this is the thing Xbox doesn't get enough credit for. And I get it. At the end of the day, a video game brand is only as powerful as its games, right? Who gives a shit? As long as the games are good, that's all we're happy about. And PlayStation's always been phenomenal at that. They always have great games for their consoles. I get that. But I feel like Xbox just never gets enough credit for this. Xbox has always been about innovating 
and like just I don't know, kind of being the visionary for the games industry. Xbox Live, HD consoles, wireless controllers, Game Pass, your all-in-one entertainment system that goes in your living room and has a webcam up to it and can do all this crazy interactive shit. Say what you will about the Xbox One, but the reason why that and the always connected online thing didn't work wasn't because it was a bad idea. It was because it was way too mature and advanced for its time and because it was poorly marketed. But like everything the Xbox One set out to do in that terrible, terrible May 2013 reveal stage presentation was actually a really fucking great idea like i still stand by it today the original vision for the xbox one is actually a fucking awesome idea it was just again it's just way too early it was it was assuming way too much it was assuming that the world had caught up to a technological point that we just weren't at yet and and that's why that failed that and bad marketing but again i mean this is just another example of xbox kind of seeing the future and being at the forefront of this game pass or not game pass but x cloud like this these are just countless examples and i don't know i love i love seeing this because xbox never gets credit for this stuff but here they are once again setting the trend being the one to spearhead and then uh i don't know sony sony's sony and nintendo are kind of like apple where like they can do the thing xbox does five years later and then they'll get the credit for it so mark my words now i'm over here enjoying foldable and dual screen android devices no one gives a shit but in five years when iphone has a foldable or a dual screen iphone you bet your sweet ass the rest of the world's gonna care all right so that's it for all those things god we're already 25 minutes in now let's jump into the comments remember guys you want to leave a comment you say jesse how can i how can i be a part of this wonderful show called xbox on well it's quite simple paul and why am i calling you paul because i want to shut the fuck up you go over to youtube.com you type slash c slash xbox on podcast that's right second best gaming is no more tell your friends all right and then you click on the latest episode of the podcast you leave a comment you can say something nice like jesse thank you for showing us and and constantly trying to highlight the ways in which Xbox has been a pioneer and an innovator in this space to show us why this brand we all love is such an indelible part to this industry we are all a part of. Thank you for trying to show that and represent that because I think that narrative often gets lost and and goes unrepresented. And I'll say, no, thank you, Paul. Thank you for your comment. Or you could be a total asshole and be like, Jesse, Clearly, you're only saying this because you're an Xbox fanboy. In fact, yesterday, when I was at the Chase Bank ATM trying to withdraw $20 so I could get parking at the uh, at the, at the the Broadway Theater where I was watching The Lion King live on Broadway featuring Will Smith as Genie from Aladdin, which is also on Broadway across the street, uh, I noticed that Phil Spencer was, was slipping you a check for a million dollars because you're paid off by Xbox. So I would just like to call to attention that you're a dumb Xbox, you're a fanboy, and therefore your opinions are invalidated. And also I think microtransactions in Marvel's Avengers is a great idea because I already have my mom's credit card linked to my Xbox Live profile. So this makes it really easy for me to level up as Captain America. And I'll say, hey, way too much information, but here we are reading it on the podcast anyway. All right, our first comment, just a cute AF comment, just a little cute little anecdote. Cranky old man in training says, this might be my most random comment yet, but I just found this out and thought it was pretty cool. So Xbox owns a studio called Alpha Dog, which they acquired by Z- when they purchase ZeniMax. They're just a small mobile developer making top-down Doom games, but what blew my mind is to discover that they're actually based in Halifax, Nova Scotia, which is where I live. I know it's incredibly random, but I just think it's cool that there's a little piece of Xbox right in my city. Anyway, hope you're having a wicked rad day. Cranky old man in training. I, I love stuff like that. I love little anecdotes. I, In fact, I, I get so like bogged down in, in just overanalyze and, and appreciating anecdotal things like that 
that uh, I, I just, I don't know, I just want to really stress to you that I also think that's cool, and I just, I, I feel you. <laughs> uh, the other day, the other week when I was in Atlanta visiting my family for the weekend, on my way back to the airport, I noticed that in downtown Atlanta, they built a massive fucking multi-story Microsoft campus in the heart of Atlanta. I just never knew about this. Apparently, they started working on it right around the time I, I left Atlanta to move to Florida, and anyway, I saw it on my way back home um, this past, uh, the last week or whatever, and it's beautiful. It's fucking be- the the facility looks amazing. It's massive, and I'm just like, wow. Maybe if I stayed in Georgia, I could uh could have applied for work with Microsoft and maybe somehow gotten in with them. And you know, they, I looked it up online. They're hiring multiple Xbox related positions, and I'm like, fuck. I moved to Orlando, where all the jobs are like working a hotel or working a theme park. When I could have stayed at home and maybe worked for Microsoft, <laughs> fuck me, I could have been an Xbox. But no, I, I I think that's I think that's really cool. You should take pride in that. That's fucking awesome. Also, yeah, shout out to Alpha Dog. They are a mobile developer that Zenimax acquired a couple years back. So yes, technically they are part of the Xbox family. Although uh, you probably won't hear too much from them, but I still think that's really cool. And you know, here's hoping I'm wrong and that they they put out something awesome. Maybe they're maybe they're the next Niantic. Maybe we'll see doom go or halo go you know it's kind of similar to pokemon go good guy way of the Lao writes in and says word my friend content keeps getting better every podcast i myself am 39 years old i just started gaming a lot and by a lot i mean seven to ten times a week whoa ask your doctor to see if seven to time seven to ten times of gaming a week is good for your body i've never played halo or call of duty or even battlefield but seeing the gameplay for them has me hyped for halo infinite and i'll be purchasing it I do like to play on PC, but that is only because I like playing on my Samsung ultra-wide monitor, and I only play with a controller when I do because only psychopaths play with a mouse and keyboard. Way of the Lao, beautifully said. Absolutely beautifully said. All right, guys, next up, I think we need to cancel Count Scotula because he wrote in and says, I tried Scarlet Nexus, and uh, it was fine. I abandoned it about an hour and a half in, but I gave the game a shot. After playing Halo Infinite Flights, everything else just seems pointless, even real-life commitments. Count Scotula, that is especially poignant because I know you have a family, so I can't help but think about that as you say everything in life seems pointless. But uh, yeah, cancel this, man. Scarlet Nexus, a wonderful game. I enjoyed it, therefore you should too. How dare you have your own opinions, but also, at the same time, I understand. I know that feeling when like you play a game that you're so into that suddenly other games that you otherwise might be into are just like, nah, I don't care. Don't give a shit. Want to play Halo Infinite. All right, Mario Movie Responses. A couple of you guys did write in about this. My brother says, you know, this is a classic Xbox-related topic, but my ex- my, my Xbox, my ex-brother, no. My brother wrote in and says, I'm not letting this Mario movie thing go. The Ratchet & Clank movie was awesome. Treated the property with respect, had games voice actors, great animation, and guess what? You didn't even watch it. Put your money where your mouth is. Support the films you want made. This movie went for celebrities because despite all the whining that actually is all people care about yeah i mean that's kind of what i was saying is that's all that's all people give a shit about that's what will sell the movie is uh you'll never guess who's voicing donkey kong it's seth rogan and he's totally gonna get high with mario and smoke a bunch of weed from a banana peel and that's what i was complaining about but uh but yeah i mean yeah you're right and also yes you you are right i did not watch the ratchet clank movie i am going off of the general consensus, which is that that movie sucked. But yes, I personally did not watch it, which is a shocker because I love Ratchet and Clank. I love animated movies. So clearly, I'm a lying, broken sack of shit. EA's King also writes in and says, talking about the Mario movie, there was a statue of Toad being made out of a carton box. 
Hopefully that sculpture doesn't represent the graphics for the movie. Oh, by the way, I almost had to kill a person because he said, quote, Halo is so bad and unoriginal. They took the guy from Fortnite. I was very angry. Well, EA's King, while normally I don't condone physical violence, especially not in the real world, I do condone it in Far Cry 6, just as long as it's not chickens fighting chickens. So EA's King, here's my proposition to you. Uh, go up to that man or that guy who said Halo is so bad and unoriginal. Do some investigative reporting. Find out, is he in fact a chicken? Check out the legs. Are they chicken legs or are they human legs? Uh, check out to see if he has one of those uh, chicken beaks. Uh, find out, you know, if he has a human cock or if he just is a cock, which is a way of saying chicken. Discover this man's identity. Is this a human? Is this a chicken? Because if it's a human, go ahead. Kill him. Murder him. Kill him the fuck right now. Because according to Kotaku, murdering people senselessly doesn't matter. But if he's a chicken... And I find out you killed this guy. So help me God, I'll call PETA on you. All right, video games. Where do gamers find the time? This is a great topic I want to get into. Tech Daddy K, who's one of my favorite commenters because his profile picture is a Lego guy making like a ha 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 face, writes in and says, thanks for another great episode. I'm so excited for some time to play games this holiday season. I'm excited to play Far Cry 6, Battlefield 2042, Back from Blood, and of course, Halo Infinite. But I still have to purchase, but I still have purchases like Mass Effect Legendary Edition and Cyberpunk 2077 that I haven't even installed yet. And because I collect Hot Wheels, yes, I'm 47 and I still buy, sell, and trade toy cars. I had to grab the challenge accepted edition of Hot Wheels Unleashed with a steelbook case and limited edition Bone Shaker diecast. God damn it, Tech Daddy. You're already one of my favorite people. Yet, I haven't been able to play my Series X more than three hours in the past month or so. I feel like I should donate the console to some less fortunate younger gamer at some point, at this point, or sell it for an obscene profit. Is there a minimum amount of gaming required for before one loses his or her gaming card? Also, how do real people with jobs, families, and side businesses make for make time for gaming? I really kind of miss the good old days of COVID lockdowns when my workplace allowed me to work from home. Can you convince your millions, thousands, maybe dozens of listeners to stop wearing masks and begin spreading the disease again? I need a break to play some games. Just kidding. Oh, and the real number of Game Pass subscribers is currently 23.4 million. Uh, subscribers that is not based on any evidence or math it's just facts okay well you heard it here first folks 23.4 million subscribers is the official number for game pass subs if you think i'm being cute if you think i'm joking i'm not i'm legitimately going to go off that data because i don't distrust tech daddy i know tech daddy's real i know he's a human and therefore he wouldn't lie to me because tech daddy knows our social contract includes that I could murder him senselessly and get away with it if he were lying to me because we know Tech Daddy's not a chicken, he's a Lego human, which is a type of human, and it's okay to kill humans as relayed by Kotaku via their criticisms of Far Cry 6. So long as he's not a chicken, I can murder this man, which gives him good reason to not lie to me because liars get murdered and chickens get saved by PETA. Thank God. All right, but most importantly, this is a great comment just because this is my biggest stress in life. And you guys, you know, (laughs) whether you want to attribute it to first world problems or white privilege or just like general American privilege, I don't know what you want to attribute it to. Everyone has their own lens in which they want to look through these things. There's no denying that along with probably a lot of you if you're listening to this show because if you have the ability to listen to a fucking Xbox podcast for leisure, life's probably mostly pretty decent. I'm incredibly blessed and privileged that like my great stress in life is like between working, commuting to and from work, wanting to go to theme parks on the weekends, trying to spend time with friends, keeping up with my family and all my other adult responsibilities like scrubbing my toilet or whatever, you know, 
My biggest stress in life is I cannot find for the life of me enough free time to play video games. It is my absolute biggest stress above all else. I know how to be good enough with my money that I don't financially ruin myself. I know how to uh, put my pants on every day so that I don't walk outside naked. I know how to do the things I need to do to function like a normal human and to get myself through the world. I'm very blessed. I get to live in in my home and have my job and have my life and have my family. Everything in my life is a complete blessing. So trust me, I understand this is the ultimate like privilege complaint to be like, guys, my biggest my biggest gripe in life is that I can't find enough time to sit on my ass and play my Xbox. I get that. But genuinely, that is my my biggest issue in life. And I just relate so much to what you're saying here, Tech Daddy, because holy fuck. And here's the thing they don't tell you, because because it's always, you know, you always hear the, the adults say, oh man, I wish I could be a kid. I had so much free time. I, I was just doing whatever. And I understand. I, I remember that, man. Like, I remember being 18, like when I was only taking like four classes a semester in my early college days. Like school was pretty easy. I could blow it off, whatever. I was an English major. All you got to do is read books and, and, and espouse your opinions. Who cares, you know? And I would just like work like three or four days a week at the restaurant. And then me and my friends would like go out, ride motorcycles, eat fast food, be out till 2 a.m., play Xbox, whatever the fuck we wanted. I didn't have enough free time to play games because I had too much free time on my hands and I was just dicking off doing stupid shit, right? Now, my problem is I just legitimately don't have time to play video games. And when I do have the time, the issue is, and here's the here's the kicker, here's the part they don't tell you. They don't have the energy to play the video games when I have the time. Like yesterday was the perfect example. I was good enough this past week about getting the podcast notes written well enough and in advance enough to where on Tuesday, I didn't have as much writing to do as I normally would. I didn't have as much formatting things to put together as I normally would. So I was like, okay, traffic was actually moderately light the other day. So I got home at a good time, didn't have too much podcast writing to do, made dinner early. I made, like I already had on the docket like a pretty quick and easy dinner to make, cleaned up really fast. And I was like, for once, I actually have kind of a weekday evening off. Like, I don't have a full weekday evening off, but I have a couple free hours to, like, do what I want. I'm like, well, I could play a video game. And then I sat down on my, on my couch, I played my Xbox, turned it on, whatever, and immediately was like, I am too tired to play video games right now. I, I'm, I'm so tired that I actually need to just lay down and, like, put on Disney Plus and zombie out until I fall asleep because I cannot handle sitting upright with a controller in my hand staring at the TV. That's how fucking exhausted I am. I'm like, this is a this is a real problem. So tech daddy, especially because you are not just a tech daddy, but you're a daddy. I know there are a lot of parents out there in the audience that listens to this show. Many uh, there there are mothers and fathers out there that listen to Xbox on, and to you guys especially, I gotta say, extra shout out, extra thoughts with you uh, because I, as a single individual, cannot find enough time to play video games. I can't imagine how you do it with a uh, screaming, crying kids who just want to fucking Fortnite dance while you're trying to drink a glass of wine and watch Grey's Anatomy. Like, God bless you. You're a fucking national treasure. And just understand that you matter and your sacrifices and sweat and tears do not go unnoticed. So, yeah, there's no solution. I don't have an answer to your question. I'm just here to I'm just here to wallow in it with you. All right, help this man decide, guys, as we wrap up with our final comment here. Headhunting Halo, who of course is not a porn star as we all know, says, Jesse, I'm so excited for tomorrow. Halloween, and this is five days ago, so tomorrow's already happened. 
I'm so excited for tomorrow. Halloween Kills is finally out. I bought Hot Wheels instead of Diablo, but shot myself in the foot because I forgot Far Cry is out now, and I guess I'll wait for that to go on sale, but I don't know. Once Infinite drops, my hard drive is cleared. That's all I will be doing, saving up those Microsoft Rewards points so I can dump them all on Infinite Store page. Jess, when you make sweet tea, do you put sugar in it first or the tea in? Also, what's your favorite scented candle? Natural question. Natural progression. Uh, good show last week. What Taco Bell item should I get next Need something I won't regret. I always get like five grillers because they're cheap and I'm ready, but I'm ready to experience something new with my taste buds. Mmm. Mmm. That is literally the comment verbatim. Headhunting Halo, you just reminded me. Tech Daddy mentioned that he collects Hot Wheels still at age 47, which means I need to say, uh, Tech Daddy, shout out to you. You're a fucking legend. I still collect Halo. Uh, I, still, I still collect Halo. That's true also. I still collect Hot Wheels. And I just got to say, Hot Wheels has matured into this thing I feel like is... You know, obviously kids still buy and want Hot Wheel toys, but it's also become this thing where it's like equally about the older generation that grew up with Hot Wheels and wants to collect them and preserve them and, you know, admire that fandom in a different way. Maybe you're not sitting down on the carpet with two Hot Wheels, smashing them together, making them do shit, but, you know, maybe you're collecting them and admiring them and, 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 and displaying them and things like that. It's Still a very fun thing to do. I totally get it, Tech Daddy. But anyway, headhunting Halo, as I was saying. And congrats to you again, because you also got Hot Wheels, as you say here. We talked about the not having enough time and all the games and what to do. Simply put, the answer is there is no solution. Um, one day, uh, the rapture will come, and we will all go to hell because we chose Xbox and not PlayStation. So you can probably play plenty of video games in hell. I don't know what to tell you there. Now... When I'm making sweet tea, here's the secret, is uh, when I make sweet tea, I don't put the tea, then the sugar, but I also don't put the sugar, then the tea first, because what I actually do first is I go to the store and I buy the sweet tea already made. So what you're really asking me is, Jesse, does your preferred brand of sweet tea put the tea or the or the sugar first? And to that, I don't, I don't know the answer. Maybe they even put the water first. I don't know. But here's the other thing is, I don't really drink sweet tea. I drank sweet tea a lot when I was younger. Uh, I, I didn't even discover it. Being from the South, this is going to sound crazy, but I didn't even have sweet tea for the first time until I was like 12 or 13. But I don't know. I went through a little phase where I like sweet tea, but I'm not I'm not crazy about it. I'd rather have an unsweetened iced tea. I know that sounds ridiculous, but I just prefer it. I just, I just, this is coming from a man that likes Mountain Dew. I just prefer it. My favorite scented candle, uh, anything that smells like birthday cake or fall scents. Um, I love Yankee Candle. That's my favorite store to buy overpriced candles at, but I never do. I like their Halloween collections they do. Oh, most important question. Next time you go to Taco Bell, if you normally get the loaded grillers, I'm telling you, man, I'm telling you, it might sound tired at this point, but there are three items on the Taco Bell menu everyone should be ordering regularly. And I mean, like, if I'm ever dictator of this world, I will I will make it known that you must eat one of these three items regularly or I will put you in a cockfight. And those items are the Chicken Chalupa Supreme. That's the number one. The number two is the Chicken Crunchwrap Supreme. And the number three is... The Cheesy Gordita Crunch No Beef Sub Chicken. Those are the three items you need to be ordering regularly. There are tons of great items on the menu. If you want something with beef on it, actually, the Quesarito is pretty good as it is. And that comes with beef by default, not chicken. I like a Quesarito. Uh, The Quesadillas, I feel like people really rave about Taco Bell's Quesadillas. I like them just fine, but I think they're way overpriced and too small for what they are, and therefore I never order them. That new menu item there is really good, which we'll get to in a minute. Um, you know, just the, those are the three tried and true most amazing items. Otherwise, anything on the value menu is always good, um, which you already know because you get the grillers. But 
yeah, that's that's what I got for you. Now that's gonna do it for all of our comments, shoutouts, whatnot. Remember, for next week, if you're if you're thinking, wow, those are some really thought-provoking questions and comments, I would really like to get in on the action. Well, I just urge you, don't be shy. Reply. Next, let's jump into what I've been playing. But before I can tell you about that, I gotta tell you about what I've been eating. And to that, I say, let's circle back to Taco Bell. Mr. Miggy wrote in. You didn't think Mr. Miggy was in this week, but he sure as hell is. And says, I'm going to miss that chicken sandwich taco thing from Taco Bell. But also, Nickelodeon All-Stars Brawl is fun. All right. We're not going to focus on Nickelodeon Smash Bros. But what I do want to focus on is this week, I've been eating the all-new Cantina Taco from Taco Bell. And Mr. Miggy says, I'm going to miss that chicken sandwich taco, which is, of course, what the cantina taco replaces, but Mr. Miggy, I don't know if you've had the cantina taco yet, but I'm going to go out and say it. A worthy successor. The chicken sandwich taco, I was already, as I told you guys, it's good, but I wasn't a huge fan of it. It tasted like KFC with Taco Bell sauce on it, and I just, that's not a bad thing by any means. It's quite good, actually, but when I go to Taco Bell, I want Taco Bell flavors, and that chicken sandwich taco was KFC flavors, not Taco Bell flavors. So the Cantina Taco is the all-new menu item for a limited time at Taco Bell, where it is a hard-shell taco, but instead of a classic tortilla hard-shell, it is a white corn hard-shell taco. And I gotta be honest, I really like this. Now, do I prefer it over a classic soft flour tortilla? No. But as a nice way to spice things up every now and again, you know, spice things up in the proverbial Taco Bell bedroom, I love this. I really love this as a little game changer for now. And I've already had two or three of these tacos, and I'll be honest with you, I think they're phenomenal. I got mine, I got one with beef and one with chicken because I just wanted to try the spectrum. I'm a very open-minded individual like that. And this is a great taco. So you get the white corn, hard shell tortilla thing, shell, whatever. Then on the base, they put a blend of three cheeses. It's like the queso, sorry, like the nacho cheese, and then like the Fiesta taco spread, and I forget what else, who gives a shit? It's just a bunch of different cheeses blended together, and so there's this base on the taco that's just thick, chewy, stringy, gooey, yummy cheese. And then on top of that, they just put a taco supreme. You know, beef or chicken, lettuce, tomato, sour cream, whatever it is you put on there. And I think there's a sauce, but I can't remember. It's so good. It's very good. It's not, so the thing I like about this item is it's it's actually kind of tame by Taco Bell standards. It's not, you know, it's not like, oh my God, we put ants in this taco or we we put Lay's potato chips all over the inside of it or we put a Baja Blast freeze in it. Uh, it's like, no, it's none of that, no frills. You know, it's just straight up. It's like, hey, it's a taco. It's just a really cheesy taco. And it has, dare I say it, a somewhat more authentic shell than uh, your t- your traditional, your typical Taco Bell soft shell tortilla. I don't know. I think this is a nice little way to shake up the fun. If you want a taco, but you don't want to try something ridiculous like a Doritos taco, you want something a little more like tried and true. I think as long as you're a cheese fan, this is a pretty good option. And, I, and I'm a fan. It's not by any stretch my favorite Taco Bell menu item. I probably won't have it more than once or twice more, but am I happy they tried it? Yeah. Am I recommending it to you? Yeah. And unless you're some fucking uh, cockfighting enabler, I think you you owe it to yourself to get to a Taco Bell drive-thru and try this thing. Now, before we get away from what I've been eating, there's one thing I got to tell you. This isn't what I've been eating. This is something I do plan on eating. This is an update to what I've been eating. You guys know at the top of the show, we like to do updates on, on developing news stories. We'll think about this as that for what I've been eating. Disney pizza, I've been talking about it for the two years the show's been on the air, was something very special to me. Um, back in a simpler time when Barack Obama was in office and Bob Iger was in charge of the Walt Disney Company, 
and Star Wars didn't occupy 98% of Disney's Hollywood studios, there was a thing called Disney Pizza. And you might be thinking, well, Jesse, it's a theme park. Of course they have pizza. That's what they sell in these things. It's like shitty pizza, shitty cheeseburgers, shitty chicken tenders, whatever. No, you idiot. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about what you get in the theme parks. At the resorts, at the Disney hotels, they had pizza that was out of this world. And I talked about it many times before, so I'll be brief. It was, you could go to any of the food courts, uh, any of the resorts and get it. It was $15 for a cheese or pepperoni pie, which is great pricing for theme park, you know, by theme park resort standards, I, I might add. It would be like a large, pretty dense pizza that would easily feed a family of three um, or a family of one if you're me. And it was phenomenal pizza. Now, this is, let me be very frank, it is frozen, uh, like kind of like Costco or Sam's Club quality pizza um, that they, you know, obviously heat up and, and, and it's made to be done fast and efficiently, right? But this is a pizza that I've grown really fond of because over the many years of going to Disney, this was always the most comforting and reliable thing to eat after a really exhausting long day in the park to just get back to your hotel at whatever Disney resort you're staying at. Know that 15 bucks is going to easily feed you and your party because it's just cheap, easy, and affordable. And it's a really great pizza. And it was, uh, it, it quickly became a huge part of my identity. You know, my identity is I like Xbox. My identity is I have cat. My identity is I sweat in Florida. And a big part of my identity beginning from the first time I tried Disney pizza was Disney pizza is, is my food. It's my diet really. And so I enjoyed it for many, many, many years until around mid to late 2019, around the time I moved here, they started slowly phasing it out. And they're like, I, this is so funny. I actually had the uh, coincidental pleasure of running into the kind of corporate chef that runs the quick service food program at a lot of the hotels at Disney. And I just ran into him through my, my work. And I legitimately like grilled him on like, what the fuck happened to the pizza? What is going on here? And he legitimately told me, he's like, we've actually had a lot of guests complain about the pizza changing. And actually what we're doing is we're doing a new pizza that my other chef, you know, said it's an Italian recipe from his his Italian friend's family, passed down. So what he did was he took the recipe, uh, kind of jazzed it up a little bit. And so basically this is our way of trying to do a more authentic, more like high quality, more fresh made to order pizza alternative instead of the, uh, you know, cheap frozen pizza we were doing before. I was like, yeah, but the cheap frozen pizza was better than what you're doing now. Also, the new pizza they were doing was twice the price. It was fucking 30 bucks a pizza. It was ridiculous. That's theme park pricing. And he agreed. He was like, you know what? I'm not even a huge fan of the new pizza, but if you don't like it, he's like, next time you're at one of our resorts, just, he's like, tell that to guest relations. Like it, the more and more guest feedback we get telling them that is the more likely Disney's going to be to make the change. And so I never actually complain because I don't complain in person to anyone about anything. I just keep quiet. I'm that kind of person, but I encourage other people to complain, but unfortunately no one really ever did anything about it. So on and on we went. Um, and then no surprise, you know, about five or six months after this change was made, a global pandemic happened. No fucking shit. What do you think was going to happen? You changed the Disney pizza recipe. No, God. So that's what happened. And we've just been dealing with this heartache over the past year and a half, two years of just slowly watching my precious Disney pizza disappear from every resort on Disney property, no longer being available. And then this past week, I'm on my phone on the My Disney Experience app, just perusing menus for different restaurants like I tend to do in my free time. And I noticed, holy fuck, what's this? Disney pizza. 
I see it. The picture looks like old Disney pizza, not the new one. Price is like old Disney pizza, not the new one. And I noticed they've changed a lot of the menu in the past few weeks. So I'm like, this is clearly a revision to the pizza. I don't know if this is the old Disney pizza we know and love, but it looks like it and it's at the right price point. So something's happened here. So whether it's they brought the old one back or they revised the new one and made it good again, I don't know. But I'm freaking losing it here trying to figure out how soon I can get back to one of these Disney hotels. You know, I'm thinking after work on Friday, I'll probably take a bus over there and and, and try it out. And I I just got to tell you guys, I'm really excited to figure out. I'm nervous, very, very nervous, but I'm excited to find out, has our beloved Disney pizza returned? Has it come to save us? In the wake of the Battlefield 2042 beta being very rough, in the wake of uh, the Switch OLED model not really pleasing a whole lot of people, in light of, you know, news that, you know, that there was a huge Twitch hack and a bunch of information was let out and all that stuff. In light of all that news, could this be the savior, the the shining hope that we've all been waiting for? And I think it might be. So guys, stand by. I will report next week. So I plan on trying it Friday night after work and I will report back to you. Is Disney pizza back? Because if so, I will start shipping you. I, I will legitimately ship you pizza. Send me your address. I will ship you a slice of Disney pizza. I don't give a shit how disgusting it shows up at your at your place. Uh, we'll, we'll make this happen. Everyone deserves a little Disney pizza. Now, what I've been playing. Stop talking about what I've been eating, what I plan on eating. Let's talk about what I've been playing. It's a busy weekend. We got the Battlefield 2042 beta took place and a bunch of other shit happened. So let's let's just kind of go in order of like what's most important to talk about, right? Uh, Battlefield 2042. I was completely wrong last week, by the way. I said the beta was like Friday to Sunday. It was actually like Wednesday to Saturday or something weird like that. So um, I was actually a little late to it. But basically, as soon as the podcast was done, uploading and everything on Thursday night. I stayed up a little late and started playing it. And then I played it on Friday night and I played it on Saturday. And I gotta be honest, I am so incredibly conflicted based on my experience with Battlefield 2042. Before I go into what I mean by that, let's let's read this comment from Sweaty Bandito who writes in and says, do all of the staff at DICE go on a three-month bender after each release and forget how to make a Battlefield game? It's as if one developer woke up and mumbled, I think I remember something about fans liking big maps, vehicles, chaos, and weapons that take skill to handle. And the leadership team said, great, let's make a fl- uh, let's make the flags all far apart, like so far that you need a vehicle to get there in under five minutes. And let's make it so players can parachute anywhere at all times so everyone's constantly being shot from 17 different directions and make the guns ball achingly hard to aim. They'll love that. But how can we make this even more authentic Battlefield experience? Oh, I know. No campaign. A HUD that's impossible to read. A lack of content. Lots of bugs. Outstanding work, guys. Apologies for the long comment. No, sweaty bandito. You don't need to apologize for a long comment. You do need to apologize for being that sweaty, though. I mean, we've been reading your comments for quite some time on the show. How are you still this sweaty? Please, sweaty bandito, take a shower. Put on some AC. I know you're in the UK right now, but... And you guys aren't too keen on using air conditioning, but clearly you need it because you're you're sweating like crazy. But this is um, a great way to kind of sum up some of what I've been seeing a lot of people react to. Although I don't think it's entirely indicative of my experience, but I do agree with you with the sentiment that it's like, what the fuck is going on with this game? Let me just start with the vague shit. I played this game across three different days and every time I had both emotions when I walked away. Fuck that game. It's not worth $70. It's a buggy mess. I, I still hate Battlefield. It's still just more Battlefield. I keep dying every time I spawn in. You run around an empty map for 20 minutes looking for something to do, and then someone one-shot kills you out of nowhere, and then boom, 20 minutes to respawn. It's fucking bullshit. I hate this game. No way am I buying it. 
I would feel that. And at the same time, I would equally feel this. Well, I think that's the best feeling Battlefield game I've ever played. And I kind of had some fun with it. And I feel like I was kind of doing better than I normally do in Battlefield. Maybe I'll have to pick this one up and play it. Uh, I don't know. It's It was pretty fun. I keep wanting to come back to it. And it was so... It was so weird like that because I kept saying like, fuck this game. I don't like it. There's no way I'm buying this. But also, I kind of want to go play more of it. I'm a little bit addicted. So I, got, I just got to be honest. This game left me very conflicted. I feel like this is like one of those games I'm going to hate purchase at one point. But here's the thing. Apparently with EA Play, and I forgot this, you get like as a as an Xbox Ultimate, as a Game Pass Ultimate subscriber and an EA Play subscriber, you get the first 10 hours of these games for free. So even if you don't buy the game, you can you can download it with your Game Pass Ultimate subscription, play 10 hours of the game when it comes out, um, and then you can buy it from there or whatever you want to do. But I'm like, you know what? For, for 10 free hours, I'll take that. I'll take 10 free hours of Battlefield 2042. What I won't be doing is dropping $70 on this fucking game when it's coming out two weeks before Halo Infinite. No fucking thank you. No thank you. Because the second Halo Infinite's out, I'm never com- I'm, I'm not coming back to this game. So that's a, that's a waste of money right there. Also, fucking bullshit. The, like, EA and Activision with their greedy next-gen pricing tier, it's like, dude, the game is 60 bucks on the Xbox One. It is $60 on the PC where it looks and runs better, but it's $70 on the Series X because uh, Series X and PS5 games are allowed to be $70, so let's take advantage of it, right? Fuck that, dude. That's such bullshit because I would absolutely buy this game on my Xbox Series X over my PC, but I got to spend an extra $10 because I want to play it on my Xbox instead of my PC. Like, what the fuck is that? That is absolutely terrible customer service. You You need to double down and just be like, listen, this is a... I guess I'll give you a pass if you want to do $60 on like Xbox one and PS four because it's such a low powered version. But like, dude, this game is never going to look or run better on any platform other than PC. And you're going to make it cheaper on PC than it is on console. Like, fuck you. So there's that too. But, um, I don't know. I I felt so conflicted with this game because I feel like the aiming and the handling of the weapons and the movement feels a lot more like call of duty and, and, and let me, I guess, let me elaborate. It feels like Battlefield, but it feels like this evolved, newer version of Battlefield that's a, like a step closer to what Call of Duty was. I don't know. The, these lines are being blurred because with the new version of Call of Duty that we get since Modern Warfare 2019 with the new engine and everything, Call of Duty feels a little bit more like Battlefield. It looks and feels more like Battlefield than it used to. And I feel like starting with Battlefield 2042, Battlefield now looks and runs a little more like Call of Duty than it used to. So now we're in this like space where I feel like both games have kind of moved in a little bit closer to one another. So it actually, I actually felt like this game was a little more accessible to pick up and play and handle and just get a feel for than usual. I feel like I'm just used to Battlefield feeling like a little slower. Maybe I'm just misremembering, but I, I felt like 2042 was a little snappier, a little faster, a little more fluid, a la Call of Duty. And uh, I actually really liked that. I found the guns that I got to play with to be like pretty satisfying to feel and to shoot. And when I got kills, I found that to be incredibly satisfying and incredibly rewarding. And there's a grapple hook and it's not nearly as great as Halo's grappling hook, but I'll fucking take a grappling hook. No complaints there. So I I felt so conflicted because the game, it's 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 fun when it's fun. You know, when I'm doing good, it's a lot of fun. Um, I think there's a lot of improvements. It's a pretty looking game. Sure. 
But here's the thing is, the game absolutely looks and runs, or absolutely runs like shit. It is a performance nightmare. And I played this game on PC, just to be clear, I played the game on PC and on Xbox because I wanted to test out mouse and keyboard versus controller because I, I wanted to know. Maybe if I played, you know, Battlefield, a more PC-centric game on PC, maybe I would like it more. And you know what I walked away surprisingly thinking? I like it about equal on both. I, I definitely, like, whereas a game like Halo or Call of Duty, I definitely want on Xbox with a controller. A game like Battlefield, I found myself equally enjoying it on PC um, and console. So I'm still equally conflicted about where I'd want to play this game if I were to purchase it. But man, oh man, this game looks, not looks, it, it looks fine when it's not graphically, like, freaking out. But I'm just talking about, in terms of art direction, graphic fidelity, it, it looks good. But, oh my god, this beta build was so buggy and glitchy, and there's so much shit happening. There were, there were people who were just, like, twerking all over the floor, and sometimes they were dead, and sometimes they were alive, so I never knew whether or not to shoot them. There were people just graphical glitch, like, oh my god, people, like, driving in a Hummer, and then, like, someone's head would stick out the window and stretch all around out, like, fucking, like, a like an animation outtake from Shrek 2 or something, bonus features, motherfucking-looking shit. It was absolutely crazy. This game runs like horse shit and I had these bugs equally on my PC and my Xbox and I was a little nervous about playing it on PC because people were even saying hey as a heads up apparently the game runs like shit or uh, on PC and uh, can possibly like completely crash your system so be careful you can blue screen to death it can also like wipe uh, shit from your hard drive so be very careful I didn't experience that I can't speak to that but apparently that was a thing I, I don't know man fundamentally it's still battlefield I feel like exactly what sweaty bandito was saying about the objective I feel like the objectives are all way too spread out when I get to an objective it's not entirely clear what I need to be doing to take to get the advantage and to take over from another team there are way too many tools at my disposal for me to get a grip on what I'm doing and maybe you know maybe that's not a fair criticism because obviously the solution is just play the game and learn the game and eventually you'll be good sure but it's just the objectives are way too far apart way too hard to capture and figure out how to effectively dominate that everything is constantly just this 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 simultaneous combination of I spawn too far away from the action I need a flying vehicle or some kind of ground vehicle to get back to the action, but it's going to take me like five minutes to get over there. Or I'm spawning right into the action and I'm just spawning on top of other people and everyone's getting shot in all directions. Everyone's dying and no one can understand what the fuck's happening. So it was like the worst of both worlds. You're either, you either have no action and it takes forever to find some or you're just constantly spawning in the action and it's just hell let loose and no one can understand what the fuck to do. And those few moments where it's not either of those, where it's like you spawn in, it's a relatively low time to find someone to fight or find something to do, and you can actually have a comprehensive like battle where it's like this person versus this person is like pretty fun. Like if this if this beta came with more than just one fucking mode and one fucking map, if it came with like multiple maps and multiple modes to test out, I would have loved to play more because I think I might like this game a lot if I played it's like smaller scale team deathmatch or something like that. I, I wouldn't know because the game wouldn't let me play anything other than one map in one mode. But uh, man, from what from what I experienced, it was like if you told me this was a $40 multiplayer only game. I'd be like, you know what? I'm I'm definitely gonna buy this game. I'm not I'm not 100% sold on it, but I think there's enough here that I need to explore more of it, and I'm excited to play it. So I'm gonna I'm gonna drop 40 bucks for $70. Get the fuck out of here. For $70 plus, you're launching right before Halo Infinite, which I'm infinitely more excited for, and which is infinitely more affordable for Game Pass subscribers. Fuck you. No way in hell am I getting this. Also, 
Uh, obviously, this can go totally differently once these two games release, but based on what we played from betas, Halo Infinite is really polished, really, really ready to go. Battlefield 2042 needs a few more months in the oven. I like I, I was talking to Count Scott about this on Twitter. This game needs a few more months in the in the oven. The best thing they could do for Battlefield 2042 would be delay this motherfucker to March. Get away from Call of Duty. Get away from Halo. Get away from the holiday season. Let there be a couple of months of like people get to play Halo, people get to play Call of Duty, they get that fun out of the way, and now they're kind of looking for something new to play. And then come out in March, and even though the spring is a busy time period for game releases, there aren't a lot of big AAA first-person shooters coming out. So so be that spring release for the first-person shooter genre. It, it just makes so much sense, but whatever. So... That's kind of my general takeaway from Battlefield 2042. I'm still conflicted on it because I, I still spontaneously hate the game and also want to play more of it. And I feel so confused right now um, by it. But those are my honest honest opinions on Battlefield 2042. I'm curious to know what a lot of you guys think because judging by you know what I see from this audience anecdotally at least, it seems like this is a very pro-Battlefield, anti-Call of Duty kind of audience. So I'd be really curious to see what some of you guys thought about the beta. So let me know. And then other than that, I'll, I'll be faster from here on out. Forsaken, speaking of Call of Duty, uh, the, the last Zombies map for Black Ops Cold War came out this past week. And it's fucking phenomenal. I was not a huge fan of map three. I thought map one was great. Map two was gr pretty good. Map three was a little weak. Map four is awesome. It's very, very good. It's it's either the best map on the game or tied for tied with the first map. It is so, so good. It is very, very fun. Very cool settings. Very fun objectives. Very fun wonder weapon. And this is the game I was trying to play this weekend where I felt like kind of guilty playing it because there was other newer things I need to be playing. But man, I'm like, I'm looking forward to this wrap-up season for Black Ops Cold War um, before Vanguard comes out because I think this new Zombies map is fucking awesome. They finally, finally, finally put Mason in the game. Finally, you can use them as an operator and multiplayer and in zombies and all that shit. So finally, they got like the most iconic motherfucking Black Ops character in this Black Ops game. I cannot wait. So I'm happy about that. I had enough COD points just from free Battle Pass rewards that I was able to buy the new Battle Pass. So kind of looking forward to just grinding out this Battle Pass through this new Zombies map and enjoying the hell out of that. So really looking forward to that. I know this is a, like I said, not a big Call of Duty audience. I know this is a very... Big, like, uh, Black Ops Cold War's dumb. Modern Warfare 2019 is the only good Call of Duty. Battlefield 2042 is the only good Battlefield. SpongeBob uh, Stick of Truth is the only good South Park game that features SpongeBob in the title. I understand. I understand. Sorry, I don't mean to talk about Call of Duty so much. Usually not this into Call of Duty, but, man, I, I gotta be honest. As we wrap up the Black Ops Cold War one-year season because Activision's fucking the worst and they only let their game shine for one goddamn year before they throw them in the trash. I gotta be honest, as someone who fell off really, really hard with Call of Duty following Black Ops 2, Cold War is the most fun I've had with a Call of Duty game in almost an entire decade. Eight years, nine years, whatever it's been. I cannot believe, you know, just now that Black Ops Cold War is almost a year old and I have no real interest in Vanguard. I'm not gonna buy it anytime soon. I'll probably buy it if I can get it on sale at some point, but... The fact that I not only enjoyed this past year's Call of Duty, but, like, I played the shit out of it like I used to when I was a kid playing, like, World at War and Modern Warfare 2 and shit like that. The fact that I got that much enjoyment out of Black Ops Cold War brings me so much happiness. I know this is a 
very divisive Call of Duty game, but like, man, I, I just thought the campaign was so fucking cool in this game. The multiplayer was not the best multiplayer in Call of Duty, but very, very fun, very addicting. And the zombies were not by no means the best zombies, but very, very good zombies nonetheless. Still like very, very fun to play. And yeah, I have my gripes with it. The game is still a buggy mess. I cannot believe it's almost a year old and they haven't addressed half the shit. Clearly, this game was released prematurely. And yeah, I don't love the new Warzone engine that they just shove into all of Call of Duty. The fact that all Call of Duty games are constantly cross-promoting and trying to get you to play the other ones and buy all the battle passes. And I don't like that there's content that you can completely miss if you just didn't buy this battle pass. And I, I have my criticisms. Trust me, this game is far from perfect. It's definitely not like... Modern Warfare 2 or World at War, Black Ops 1 quality of like excellence. But just in terms of the sheer amount of enjoyment and hours played and everything that I've gotten out of Black Ops Cold War, as we wrap it up and we get this great new zombies map to kind of cap it off, I just got to be honest, I've had a wonderful time with this game. And I'm, I know it's cool to hate on Call of Duty, but I'm pretty proud to be sitting here being like, hey guys, like give credit where credit's due. Uh, Treyarch and Raven did a phenomenal job with this game. Considering considering the circumstances in which the game was made, you know, with the limited short two-year dev cycle and all that, I think this game is truly great for what it is. And uh, I, I don't know, I've just had a great time with it. So not feeling my regret for the $70 spent on that game at all. Although still fuck you, Activision. Why is Black Ops Cold War 60 on PC where it looks and runs better? But 70 on Xbox, that's kind of bullshit. And then lastly, Metroid Dread. I won't talk about this really because... It's a Nintendo game. This is an Xbox podcast, but I'm a huge Metroid fan. It is my favorite fictional uh, space sci-fi universe outside of Halo. And I was pretty damn excited for this game when it was announced. And I got to be honest, I'm, I'm about a quarter of the way through the game. And I'm loving this game. You know, we, I shit on Nintendo all the time on this podcast as a basically burned, fallen out Nintendo fanboy. Um, I, I, I got to be honest, like this is the most excited I've been about Nintendo Switch in basically the longest time. And I'm I'm really happy, you know, it's it's been really fun this week to be like, hey, I actually want to play my Switch. Hey, there's actually a reason for me to pick this thing up. I can play a game that isn't a repeat of some game I bought three years ago on my Wii U. Like, this is genuinely a unique, original, fun, awesome game. And I'm really enjoying the hell out of it. It is incredibly dated in some aspects. It has some of that old Metroid quirk that I know a lot of people want to defend and be like, well, that's just what Metroid is. But it's like, nah, there should be more straightforward design in just helping people get through the game. I feel like some of the puzzly stuff is a little stupid. I mean, obviously, it's a it's a cornerstone of the genre, but some of it is just a little too far, I think. But that being said, I'm, I'm playing with a, with a guide because I don't give a shit. I don't want to play this game for 12 hours and be stuck. I want to play it for seven hours and run through it and have a fun time the whole time. I don't give a shit if that's the right way to play it or not. I'm having a great time. I'm loving the atmosphere. I'm loving the ambiance. I'm loving the aesthetic. Samus looks fucking badass in her in her armor. The the Emmy robot droid things are fucking terrifying and suspenseful as shit when they're chasing you down. The new mechanics and features are awesome. The slide is awesome. The uh, the stealth mechanics are really really cool. I'm I'm really digging this game. So. That's why I've been playing a lot, you know, where I can squeeze it. I'm bringing my Switch to work every day now so I can play it on lunch breaks. And it's, I'm having a great time with that. And then lastly, Back for Blood is now out. I haven't played it yet. I've only played it during the beta, but you can bet your sweet ass that we're going to be playing that on Thursday night stream and as well as this weekend. So stay tuned for more on Back for Blood. We've got some Left for Dead, baby. I'm excited about that. But look at that theme there. We got 
Call of Duty zombies, Left 4 Dead zombies, Metroid, kind of like spooky sci-fi, kind of almost like a horror kind of uh, vibe and aesthetic thing to it. Lots of Halloween-esque games coming on right now. I'm very into this. So that's it for all I've been playing and everything. Guys, we're an hour and 15 minutes in. Let's jump into some news. What do you say? You ready? I don't care. We're going anyway. All right. Our first news story this week comes from Windows Central. This is the, the big chunky one about the Xbox first party game. Avowed. Let's do a little update on Avowed. So Windows Central's Jez Corden had a exclusive deep dive into uh, Avowed this week. He got to see an early pre-alpha kind of behind-the-scenes look at the game and wrote up this really full uh, piece on windowscentral.com that I encourage you to go take a look at and read if you'd like to know more. I'm going to read you the most important excerpts, which is probably about 50% of what was written right here, and then we'll talk about it, but... Just want to give you that preface and an understanding of what this is we're looking at. But the abridged version of his article goes as follows. He says, I've got a small update on the project Avowed making its way to Xbox and details on why I'm more excited than ever for it. Sources familiar with the internal plans have reached out to us in recent months offering details on Avowed, moving through pre-production towards a playable alpha state. Indeed, Obsidian is likely close to having a working early version of the game with many mechanics and core gameplay pillars already implemented. I can't be sure how some how old some of the footage I've seen is, and there's a good chance it's further along than this. But for those who don't know, we've only seen Avowed in pre-rendered CGI trailers thus far, of course. The game is set in a pillars in the Pillars of Eternity universe, known as the World of Eternity, which utilizes first-person viewpoint similar to Obsidian's The Outer World. We were told Avowed will feature multiple class playstyles and borrow from Skyrim's two-handed combat system. You can wield two daggers and be a stealthy rogue or dive into archery with two-handed bows. You can use a combination of swords and magic or go full two-handed magic, which is required to wield some of the game's most potent spells and abilities. Avowed will feature many elements from Pillars of Eternity that fans will be familiar with. Wizard spells like like Jolting Touch, which are which fry enemies with Forks of Lightning, which will be present. Two-handed spells like Fireball and Conjure are using complex hand gestures, etc., the combat seems to be more loadout based than Elder Scrolls, which gives you a mount, which gives you mountains of spells like a gigantic in a gigantic list. Warriors will be able to access more physical abilities and swordplay, powerful kicks, shield bashes, and stuff like that. While casters will have a full range spellbook custom tailored to the combat style. The Outer Worlds was Obsidian's take on a Fallout style game, but Avowed is undoubtedly Obsidian's take on an Elder Scrolls style game. The two-handed first-person combat style is unmistakable, and there are obvious differences in the early dark document. But there are obvious differences in early documentation. At least directly compared to the likes of Skyrim and Oblivion, Avowed seems to be far more colorful, reminding me of the Outer Worlds. Luminescent cave mushrooms, verdant forests awash with gigantic flora, and hulking sunlit temples complete with skeleton-infested depths and tombs are plentiful. The content I saw does represent pre-alpha state. In certain aspects, it looks like lighting and textures are not fully implemented, which is one reason why I'm not sharing the documentation that I've been shown. As far as story layout, I can only speculate. Not sure whether they'll go full-blown open world like Skyrim or utilize something more like Outer Worlds hub system, which connects larger areas to an open world map, complete with interior areas and dungeons. I'd expect it to be the latter, as it gives Obsidian greater control over the pacing of the narrative, which is their biggest strength, of course. Even in a pre-alpha state, Avowed looks and plays extremely well, which with refined action RPG combat, 
set in a vibrant medieval fantasy world that I cannot wait to explore. I feel like there's a good chance we'll see it in a playable state at E3 2022 at the latest given the quality of the content I've seen, which may even be several months old at this point. So I'm of two minds from this kind of early preview or exclusive piece here because, again, we love Jez Corden. He gives us some of the best scoops. He's, he's one of the best when it comes to Xbox coverage. But I feel like all this story really does, for the most part, is kind of confirm a lot of what we already knew or suspected. I mean, I guess this wasn't really made 100% clear because that initial CG trailer didn't say it all. But I, I guess many of us had assumed and our assumption was correct. Obviously, this is Obsidian's take on... This is basically Obsidian's Elder Scrolls if Outer Worlds was their fallout. That's what we've all been saying since this game was announced, basically since Outer Worlds was first announced. So that's not surprising. The whole it's set in the Pillars of Eternity world and all that, that is the cooler chunk of information here. Um, the things I found most interesting were that, the fact that it's a lot more vibrant and colorful than a game like Skyrim, which I find to be quite nice, considering how like drab those 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 games can be but also this um this news that the the build he saw was pretty far along in development possibly uh almost ready for like an alpha build and that we could potentially see this as soon as the next e3 this would be huge i think i think this is the biggest takeaway is that there's the potential that we could be seeing about now he also said in in the full written article that you know something about maybe even seeing it at the Game Awards this year, this December. I don't think there's a chance in hell we see it at the Game Awards, personally. But E3 2022, probably next June, right? That's that's a good deal. If we see Avowed in action at that point, which is a little less than two years after it was announced, um, playing in, act, like, in action almost ready to release, or probably about a year out, I'd say, you know, that's not amazing, but that's um, that's standard, and I feel like... Xbox can take standard in a time where their announcement to release cycle, you know, is just way too fucking long, that that window. So this would be great because the game was announced in the summer of 2020. Um, and so we could get a gameplay reveal in 2022 that summer. And then if the game could release around summer or fall of 2023, I think that would be a pretty good uh, place for the game to be in. Um, so hopefully that's what we're shooting for. But uh, this is this is promising, right? Because Avowed's a game we're all looking forward to. We all know uh, Elder Scrolls Six is incredibly far off because uh, Starfield hasn't even happened yet. But Avowed should help fill in that gap quite nicely, considering that it is also an Xbox game in the way that that um, Elder Scrolls is an Xbox game is 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 quite a nice get as well. And this is one of those this is one of those big ones, right? Avowed is one of the games I keep looking to as a huge blow to PlayStation. If you want to talk about, oh, that's that's a huge get for Xbox that PlayStation doesn't have, I'm less so interested in stuff like, you know, like the next Elder Scrolls, which is clearly like, well, yeah, they bought it away from PlayStation, you know, or like the Starfield or, or something like Halo because it's like, well, no shit, Halo is always an Xbox exclusive, right? Avowed is interesting because this is like, no, this is a studio you bought that is making exclusive games, brand new IP, or a new game for your console only. That's exciting. Avowed is going to be like the first of that that we've seen. Basically, anything that comes out of Obsidian or In Exile or or, or um, the Initiative or teams like that. And so I think there's a lot riding on Avowed in that sense. But I wonder what this release cadence Xbox now has 
planned for like these Western RPGs because presumably, you know, it's Starfield next fall and then the next fall is Avowed and then the next fall is, you know, we got Outer Worlds 2 in development. We got Elder Scrolls 6 in development. I'm sure neither of those games will be ready by then. Um, but, you know, it's like, what is the what is the cadence? We know In Exile is working on a first person open world RPG type game as well. So there's a there's a lot here to be looking forward to. There's a lot to to break apart here. Um, which is, I think, all the more reason why a 2023 release date for Avowed makes perfect sense because you definitely don't want it out next year because then it's just fighting with then it's just fighting with um, Starfield, which is quite stupid. Um, but yeah, this is we're we're heading into this territory of like Xbox is going to be having like an exclusive RP, open world RPG Western RPG style game, at least one big one a year, right? Because next year's Starfield, the next year's probably Avowed, but also fable is probably 2023 as well so it's like where does that fall so there's a lot you know maybe fable is 2024 that actually it's possible i hate to think that but that could be true could be starfield next year then the next year is avowed then the next year is fable then the next year is outer worlds 2 then the next year is skyrim Oh, but in Exile's game is somewhere in there. I don't know. Sorry, I'm just I'm just like kind of calendar building for Microsoft here for no good reason. But yeah, there's not there's not too much to say here because a lot of this is kind of affirming what we already knew. It's first person open world RPG, Western RPG, pretty much like to Skyrim what Outer Worlds was to Fallout, but it's set in the Pillars of Eternity universe. I don't know if we already knew that. I think we knew that, but I'm not. I don't remember it if we did know that. Um, but yeah, this sounds promising. Glad to see Joe's Corden is high on this. I'm I'm not even a medieval fantasy RPG person, um, and I've already been excited about this since it was announced. So I have I have high hopes for this. I, I really respect and admire a lot of what Obsidian does. So I have complete confidence that this game is going to be something worth keeping an eye on. All right, our next story here comes from VGC, and this is more of a finally and less of a story, but. Um, Rockstar have officially announced that Grand Theft Auto, the trilogy, the definitive edition, will be coming sometime this year. In an update on its website, the company said the collection will be coming to Xbox Series X, S1, and the Rockstar Games launcher via PC before hitting mobile devices in 2022. Grand Theft Auto, the trilogy, the definitive edition, will feature across across the board upgrades, including graphical improvements and modern gameplay enhancements for all three titles, which are, of course... Grand Theft Auto 3, Grand Theft Auto Vice City, and Grand Theft Auto um, 4 San Andreas. Or, sorry, Grand Theft Auto San Andreas 4 is a different game. Uh, and we, while maintaining the classic look and feel of the original games, we are extremely excited to share more about these groundbreaking titles in the coming weeks, so please stay tuned. To prepare for launch, we will begin removing existing versions of the classic titles from digital retailers next week. For further information, please visit Rockstar Games Support. In addition, GTA... The Trilogy Definitive Edition will be coming to iOS and Android in the first half of 2022. So this is interesting. This is clearly their way of saying these are. The, this is the way we want you to play these games going forward. So GTA 3, Vice City, and San Andreas have all been available on the App Store, on the Xbox Store, and all these things for a while now, for years actually. And they're basically removing them, saying that this will be the replacement for them. That's kind of crazy. Obviously, they'll be launched kind of a la carte style on mobile. Um, but the plan is to release it all as a one bundle on console. So 
It'll be weird to see. At some point, will they offer it a la carte? Will I be able to just buy one or two of them? If so, I would love that because I only want Vice City. I don't want San Andreas or 3, but I, f- I think that's something to consider. Also, there are rumors and reports going around that this is going to be a $70 collection, which is crazy if that's the case, considering that the mobile ports and like the PSN downloads for these for like the PS2, GTA 3, and all that stuff have only been like 8 to $15 or whatever they've been. So that would be a massive markup for each title if if that's really the case, is that's going to be a $70 bundle, which means like on iOS that might be like 15 20 bucks a game. I don't fucking know. That's that's a lot of money. So that's something to keep in mind as well. But the other thing is reports are suggesting this will likely be out in December or so. Um, that sounds feasible. Rockstar traditionally likes to be a very like um, short announcement to release kind of window time frame company. Um, and they said that they were going to get it out this year still. So if, if they actually are able to hit that, yeah, that I mean, come on. We're like two months away. So that's pretty exciting. That's a cool one. I obviously won't be giving a shit about this at launch because Halo Infinite. But um, I, I definitely want to pick this up for, if, if anything, for, you know, GTA Vice City alone. I definitely want to play that game just with modernized controls and things like that. Like, the old visuals don't bug me so much. I just want a bumped resolution and aspect ratio. But the the controls do bother me. If you go back and play GTA 3, that game does not control exceptionally well. So, yeah, if you can just play... If if, if I could just play those games and have them have, like, more of a GTA 5-style control system uh, and feel, um, then I, you know, I would absolutely 100% take that over... uh, Take that over having to just play this old, like, archaic port from, like, the Xbox Live Marketplace or whatever. So, overall, this is this is a rumor I'm tired of seeing. We've just been seeing this so much for months and months now. So, to finally have it com- confirmed officially, feels good to have it out. There you go, Rockstar. Everyone knew about this already. Wasn't Was that so hard to just finally talk about it? Our next one comes from VGC, and the report says that the next Far Cry game could shake up this series with a greater focus on online play. It has been claimed. An Axios source has spoken with Ubisoft and, that, and claimed that they've been exploring a more online-oriented approach to the next entry in the long-running franchise. Earlier in the week, it emerged that Ubisoft may have included a teaser in Far Cry 6, hinting at a potential multiplayer game set in the Far Cry universe. And in June, Bloomberg reported, or Jason Schreier of Bloomberg reported, that Ubisoft could also uh, be set to take the franchise in a new direction with Far Cry 7. Triple Click Podcast. Uh, On the Triple Click Podcast, he said, From what I've heard, and if I remember correctly, they're aiming to go in a radically different direction for Far Cry after Far Cry 6. So, if this is to be believed, and I don't doubt it is, this is entirely in line with what Ubisoft is doing. The next Far Cry, or the next um, Assassin's Creed game we know is supposed to be more of like an open world, online shared experience kind of game. Why not do something like that with Far Cry? We know the next uh, the next Ghost Recon is some kind of like Battle Royale type online massively multiplayer, massive multiplayer game. We know... Rainbow Six is still doing its thing with Extraction and Siege, which is successful on its own. And desperately, desperately, Ubisoft is trying to get into these games-as-a-service things. We got... What is that? What's the fucking name of that Ah, I just forgot. They just announced it not too long ago. It looks like Call of Duty or whatever, but it's just another... Man, I I totally forgot the name of it. But it's that free-to-play shooter that's on the way. And they had that that whatever-something-scape game that came out 
like cyberscape or whatever that came out like a year ago that no one gave a shit about so this is ubisoft's jam this is their thing is that they are trying so hard to get these platforms games as a service type online persistent games in the works they want a grand theft auto online they want a Fortnite. they want something of that ilk very very badly it's very clear they don't want to make these one-off open world games that mind you sell excellent they sound absolutely excellent far cry assassin's creed etc these games typically sell really really well tens of millions of copies and ubisoft makes tons of money but that's obviously not enough for them they want to take that a step further get on this persistent world online universe bullshit we want you know they they want the division to be like destiny and all this stuff so that's what we're getting and for far cry 7 that doesn't surprise me the only reason why far cry 6 wasn't that is because i think when ubisoft took this change in direction it was already kind of too late far cry 6 must have already been kind of too far along now I, i i will say this is a really weird thing we've seen ubisoft do you'll remember i think it was last fall during like that earnings report where they basically said or was it two years ago it was, it was the year that they had to delay that ghost recon breakpoint you know by a little bit be, or breakpoint kind of came out and, and wasn't nearly as successful as wildlands was and then they kind of shifted the release date of all their games back like six months or whatever and they freaked out and ever since then we've seen them just kind of be like yeah we really want to get into exploring a lot of like games as a service things free to play games trying to get more like a higher quantity of games out there in the wild throw more things and see what kind of sticks approach and that's fine but at this point it's gotten a little extreme it seems like it's gotten to the point where it's like ubisoft is willing to sacrifice the integrity of every franchise they own in an attempt to try and get a Fortnite, to try and get uh an among us or uh, a destiny or whatever they want this online persistent game that gets all the buzz and all the rage and all the talk and keeps going and going and going they want their call of duty Warzone, they want their imposter mode whatever it is they're after they're really set on trying to get it and i think this is a slippery slope because what they're really doing is they're kind of burning their bridges with all these franchises that are already already incredibly successful and you know you look at like what happened with the success of assassin's creed right they kind of open world checkbox sandbox whatever every fucking game they have far cry is the same as assassin's creed which is the same as ghost recon at this point right where all these games are equally just uh you run around an open world you collect this you take down these things you do that you fill out the map boom bada bing bada boom now they're trying to do a similar thing where they but with like online persistent games where they're just like everything is a a different flavor of an online persistent shooter kind of whatever fucking go go figure and that's fine, but like, I feel like this is too reactionary of a move because if all they do is put out a bunch of duds, it's like, oof, well, what did you do with all your all your franchises people liked, you know? Sure, the next Far Cry game isn't going to be, you know, Fortnite levels of profitable, but it's going to sell tens of millions of copies and be very, very successful and well-liked and do very well for you. So why completely fuck with a good thing, especially... If you're going to do it with, if you're going to be fucking with all of your good things in this case, I feel like Ubisoft is kind of dropping the ball a little bit and being absurdly overreactive to this shift in the market. But we'll see. Time will tell. Maybe they'll be able to weasel their way into this market somehow and and get themselves a Warzone or Fortnite after all. Who knows? Next, this is a story that is technically a big story in gaming, although I know this is a podcast of mostly hardcore gamers, not really, you know. FIFA football fans, so it might it might come off as a little 
you know, not fun, but we'll get through it quickly. This is just one that must be mentioned, you know. Uh, VGC reports that EA is reportedly considering walking away from the FIFA license due to the, de- the body's uh, demand for around $2.5 billion over the next decade. That's according to a new report from the New York Times, which cites that people close to the negotiations have claimed the football the footballing body is asking EA for more than double what it pay- paid previously uh, for the FIFA naming rights. The publication reports that reports that at least two years of talks about renewing the contract that allow EA to use the organization's name have hit a wall after FIFA asked for $1 billion each year for the World Cup cycle. FIFA, the governing body that controls football, world football, is also said to be keen to limit the extent of EA's rights. While the game's publisher reportedly wants to explore highlights of actual games, arena, video game tournaments, and digital products like NFTs, EA's current 10-year FIFA naming deal expires after next quarter's World Cup. EA publicly stated that it would be exploring cutting that it would explore cutting ties with FIFA's name in an unusual press release published earlier in the week in the statement EA Sports Group GM Cam Webb Weber confirmed that the company is exploring the idea of renaming its blockbuster franchise and was reviewing its naming right agreement with the football governing uh, body FIFA while it's unclear when a decision on the future of the franchise will be made EA has recently made several steps to ensure that the future of the series uh, with or without the governing body. Earlier this month, then EA came to an agreement to extend its current deal with the football player union FIFA Pro, which gives it access to the likeness and names of professional footballers. It was also later discovered that EA had trademarked EA Sport FC with the UK's intellectual property office and the European Union intellectual property office this month. So this one I think is pretty cut and clear. This is... We saw almost a similar thing happen um, with MLB The Show and PlayStation recently, right? Where this is the organization twisting the arm of this publisher and saying, listen, we know this is a popular brand. It's a valuable brand. There's a lot we can do with this. Um, You either pay us a shit ton of money or make this a lot more accessible or we walk because there's a lot of things we want to do that we can't because you have exclusive rights. So by that... You know, what I mean is MLB The Show, right? The MLB said, basically, we want you to put this game on other platforms like PC or, or like uh, Xbox and Switch if you can get it there at some point because we're leaving so much money on the table by just not selling this game on other platforms, by only selling it on PlayStation. And so your option is you either put the game on Xbox or you lose the license to the MLB altogether. And Sony, being wiser, put the game on Xbox. This is almost a similar thing. But we, we see directly what the, what the thing is because because we see here that the FIFA governing body wants to be able to explore highlights of games, arena video game tournaments, and digital products like NFTs. So these are things that they may be unable to do because of licensing agreements with EA having the FIFA brand. And so EA has kind of the monopoly on the FIFA brand when it comes to interactive entertainment and things like that. And so this is the FIFA body wanting to get into other kind of entertainment mediums and other kind of lucrative businesses that are in some way an interactive form, some interactive digital form, and them not really being able to because EA has its exclusive rights to the FIFA brand when it comes to interactive entertainment due to some kind of contractual agreement here. That's what I'm gathering, and basically what they're saying is, hey, we're leaving tons of money on the table by not getting invested in these various aspects, these various businesses, so here's the deal. You're going to pay out the ass for this license, so much money that it basically makes us 
up makes up for us not being able to get invested in those other opportunities or you lose the FIFA license altogether. We walk with it. We do other shit or you at least don't have it exclusively. And so EA kind of responds to it by being like, okay, let's run the numbers. Let's do the market research. Let's find out. Can we change the name of this game? Can we remove FIFA from the title and still have it be just as big as it is? Keeping in mind that FIFA is one of the absolute biggest games that comes out each and every year. Madden, FIFA, Call of Duty, these are the big games. These are the games that cannot be touched from the sales charts. So this is huge. NBA, 2K, those games as well. So this is a this is a huge dice roll for EA, right? Because, because they are currently by far the biggest name in soccer, right? In soccer video games, right? And that Konami game, I, I forget the name of it, is actually the second most popular alternative. It's done pretty well over the years. This current one is completely broken and fucked for many reasons. But generally, that Konami soccer game does pretty all right. And I think the, the folks at EA might be looking at this as saying, listen, we already have the superior product. We already have this built-in fan base. Is there a way we can market to our audience and say, basically, hey, it's still the same FIFA you love, but now it's got a new name, and carry that on without having to pay this exorbitant amount of money for this license? And I think that's what the 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 executives and everyone at EA and the lawyers and everyone are trying to crunch and figure out right now is, can we make this work without this brand? And so that's why you see them uh, going back and extending their deal with the football players union, because this means they can still use the teams. They can still use the players. They can still use the jerseys. They can still use the stadiums and have all the same content in the game. It just won't be FIFA branded anymore. Now it will be whatever, like, you know, EA Sports FC, whatever the fuck they want to call it. I think there's a way they can make this work. As a layman, as a complete layman, as not a soccer fan, someone who just doesn't know what the fuck they're talking about, I don't think FIFA lives and dies because of the FIFA brand. I think it lives and dies because it is the premier football game experience, soccer game experience. So I think if you can come up with a name that works and properly market in a way that conveys to your audience, like, this is that FIFA game you love, now it's over here, then I think I think this might be the way to go because there's just so much money. I mean, two... $0.5 billion is just absolute absurd amount of money to be, you know, expecting over the co- over the course of the next decade. Um, so, again, it's just like if you if you felt confident that you could get away with still having the biggest game by far in soccer, the biggest soccer video game on the market, but also weasel your way out of paying $2.5 billion for a license that isn't even the biggest part of your game. You know, the big part of the game is the quality of the game, the fact that you have the players, the teams, the stadiums, all that licensed shit. If you can retain that and walk away from the name that's costing you $2.5 billion over the next decade, wouldn't you explore it? So I think that's what we're up against here. And I think that's actually kind of an interesting situation, right? Um, Because this is really tricky. We're in a time where, yes, maybe now's the time to do this if you're going to do it because the competition took a huge stumble this year. And, bur- and burned a lot of bridges and built a lot of bad will with its audience, with Konami and everything. So maybe this is the year to change from FIFA to something else if you're going to do it. Because basically the market's going to be like, well, FIFA's gone, but we can play this other th- new thing that's apparently really good, just like FIFA used to be. Um, and then there's the Konami one, which is apparently a broken piece of shit, so you don't want to play that. And so I think you might want to strike while the iron's hot. You don't want to re-up this license while it's super expensive. You want to do your name change and get away from the competition and, and kind of reestablish yourself at a time where you're on top of the world and they're hurting. 
Um, now might be the time to do it if you're going to do it. But again, this is a complete dice roll, and there's a lot that could go wrong here as well. So, you know, the devil's advocate to that is you could just pony up the fucking $2.5 billion over the next 10 years, which you're going to have, and ensure that you continue to have the premier brand in football, soccer games. So, I don't know. I think that's... Uh, as someone who doesn't give a shit about soccer games, I think that's an incredibly interesting story. And then our penultimate story here uh, comes from my favorite, gamesindustry.biz. This is a little sad one for me. Ryu Ga Gotaku, Gotoku Studio, the developer behind Sega's popular Yakuza series, has overhauled its management structure as two prominent members leave the company. Toshihiro Nagoshi, the creator of the Yakuza series, and producer Daisuke Sato both announced that they are departing from the studio and from Sega. The revelation came from a blog post revealing that the two that the new team structure with former series Masayoshi Yokoyama taking over as director and executive producer of the studio. Producer Hiroyuki Sakamoto steps up to chief producer while director Ryosuke Hori steps up to chief director. The studio's leader also includes uh, technical manager Yutake Ito uh, who directed the, this year's spin-off game, Lost Judgment, art director Nobuki Mitake, animation director uh, Takeyuki Sorimachi, and visual designer and creative director Daisuke Fukagawa. In a statement, Nagoshi thanked fans and colleagues for their support over the years, saying, quote, As of today, a new Ryugai Gotoku studio is born where the series will live on. He said, Though I don't know for sure what we will, what they will create, I believe the new generation will further enhance the foundation we built over the years and deliver great games to the world. Nagoshi also stepped down from Sega's board directors in earlier years. Back in August, it was reported that the final uh, that he was in final talks to join Chinese publisher NetEase. Ryuga Gotoku Studio was founded in Nagoshi 10 years ago and is now working on a sequel to Yakuza Like a Dragon. All right, so this is a story that we, we saw coming with the, the rumors of NetEase kind of luring in uh, Nagoshi. Uh, a few years ago, or a few months ago, rather. So that's not a total surprise, but he's also, but he's also bringing with him uh, Daisuke Sato. Um, so we got the series producer and the series creator, basically leaving together. That is like your two top dogs right there, um, just completely stepping away from this. So in that respect, this seems like a red flag. Like, oh, that that absolutely sucks. I, not not a red flag in that this studio was in trouble and needed to be abandoned, but a red flag in that this could be a turning point for the studio where things start to get worse, unfortunately. I feel less so that way now than I did earlier because for the simple for the simple reason that this kind of reminds me of like what happened when like John Lasseter was forced to leave Disney and Pixar, where I was like, you know what? This this sucks. This sucks that this is this circumstance that this is who the thing this person did and this is the consequence that he's now having to face for his actions and whatever. We're not not to say that he was wrongfully accused of anything, but what I'm saying is it just sucks because John Lasner was seen as like an absolute fucking legend. And it was largely considered the reason I mean, obviously Pixar, famously known, beloved super high quality animated movies, the best animated movies of the past like 50 years or whatever. Obviously, you know, that's John Lasseter's doing. He's largely credited with that success. And then Disney 
brings John Lasseter and, and Pixar kind of into the fold, brings John Lasseter comes back to Pixar or back to Disney after, you know, working there back in the early days before Pixar and all of that shit. So largely John Lasseter and the Pixar team and that acquisition are, are mostly credited with not only bringing that animation quality all the way up with Pixar, but also for overhauling Disney in a second dark age, which was that early, you know, early 2000s era of like Home on the Range and Chicken Little and starting to make good movies out of Disney again with Princess and the Frog and Tangled and Frozen and Moana and all those great movies. So it seemed like at the time, you know, and I'm not speaking to uh, the allegations of of John Lasseter and all that. I don't want to get into that side of things. I'm just I, I'm just stating that clearly from from the standpoint of the man's work and his contribution, it was seen as like, yikes, that is a massive, massive talent. One of the most important people working for this company, gone, you know? And you, you can't help but wonder, what does that mean for the future of these studios, right? And it quickly became apparent once John Laster was gone, it's like, actually, Disney and Pixar are going to be just fine without him. Because the thing is, yes, he was an indelible role to that studio, but he built so much of the culture and established so much of like how things are done that over such a long period of time that he's already trained an entire generation of people who probably learned everything there is to learn from him and now are able to also add their spin and their flair on top of that. And of course, in typical Jesse Xbox on fashion, that was a very long winded way of basically saying that could be what we're seeing here. Yakuza is a mature franchise, right? It, not mature because it's rated M, which it is, but mature because, you know, there's, there's six main entries and then Like a Dragon, which I guess seven main entries, and then the two spin-off Lost Judgment games and then some other games that are like only on PSP in Japan or whatever. Whatever the case may be, Yakuza is not a young, fresh series. The studio is not young and fresh. They've been around the block. They put out many, many games, and Yakuza games are consistently great. So it stands to reason that Yes, this sucks, right? Nagoshi and Sato are both leaving, and they're huge to this team and all that, but they've been there so long, and they've made so many games with such a large team, and there's just so much more than the series creator and the producer, you know, that go into making these games, that it stands, you know, reasonable, you know, there's good reason to believe that there is enough talent at the studio where the culture has been ingrained. The lessons from these higher-ups that are now gone have been learned. And now the new talent understands that culture, understands that direction, and also is able to step up into more of a high a higher role now and add their flair and add their twist and add their nuance and add their um, flavor to the Yakuza formula. So it's very likely that the Yakuza games going forward are going to be absolutely fine without these guys, but at the same time, it cannot be understated or it cannot be overstated that if you're going to lose someone, this is like the biggest talent you can lose. So I'm trying to look at it from both angles and trying to be optimistic about it, especially because I just want Yakuza to continue to be great. But this is huge. The thing that, again, the thing that concerns me more, and we won't get too into it because we talked about this when the story first surfaced a few months ago, but I'm just disappointed <laughs> in these guys for taking this money from NetEase and for going over there because, you know, I think what Sega and uh, Ryuga Gotoku Studio have created with this series over the years is really special. It's really great. I would like to see them continue to make this awesome series of video games for with this significantly better publisher for this uh, more free market rather than uh, go to NetEase, which has tons and tons of uh, Chinese government control 
kind of, you know, seeding through that and, and, and governing how this company operates and tons of communist dollars invested in it. And just, uh, I, I don't know. I, I We've already talked about it extensively on this podcast before. I am very anti-communist Chinese uh, influence in video games. I'm very much anti-communist dollars entering the games industry and all that. I think this is bad for absolutely everyone. And if you don't believe me, just look at the stories. I haven't been covering them on this show because I don't want this to seem like uh, the Xbox Let's Bash on Communism uh, show. I want this to be the Xbox podcast. So, But I, <laughs> there have been a lot of stories coming out very recently about all the kinds of ways the Chinese government's trying to get involved in gaming and limit the amount you can play games and limit the types of games you can play and limit the types of content games can have. This is just simply not good. It's just simply not good, okay? This is like, I this is I don't think this is defensible in any way whatsoever. You know, the, the U.S., our, our shitty-ass broken government, that's an absurdly corrupt and stupid in every way humanly possible and just completely a fucking failure and embarrassment and a sham as much as, as our government in this country is that way, I, I, I got to say, the government doesn't get to step in and tell, what's a good example, uh, doesn't get to step in and tell American game developers what kind of content they can and can't include in their games and what kind of audience is allowed to play them and how they, you know, they don't get to go around and tell Sony and Nintendo and Microsoft, hey, you got to limit the amount of playtime that these users can can be on your consoles. You gotta shut them down. If they're if they're logged online for more than X amount of hours a week, you gotta you gotta cut them off. They can't play this many hours of games. You can't say this in a in a, in a video game. You can't whatever. You know this week actually perfect perfect example. This week coming to Xbox Disco Elysium game literally made by a studio that celebrates Stalin and has a picture of him hanging on their wall. And deals with like themes of communism and shit like that. Like literally a game that kind of celebrates that shit to an extent. Uh, that game came out, is available in the US market, and there's nothing anyone can do about it. Our government can't do shit. The game exists. It is what it is. Deal with it like it or not. The US government has always been, has always looked at communism as a boogeyman and always tried to make, you know, Americans like drool on command, like, like fucking watchdogs when they hear the word communism. And... Yet that's a game that is allowed to be released into this market for everyone to play and be exposed to and to draw their own conclusions and opinions on based on, you know, the game. And that's awesome. That's how it should be. The Chinese government gets to step in when they, you know, when there's a bunch of that kind of money and influence on these Chinese publishers and developers and say, well, you can't talk about Taiwan. They're not a real country. You can't you can't mention them. Well, you can't let our players play more than X amount of hours of this game. Well, you gotta you can't say this negative thing. That might make you know the Chinese government sound bad. You can't you can't do that. So you gotta change that. And they get to step in and change all the creative control and change the boundaries and change how the games work. And that's just, I think it's morally irreprehensible. I don't I don't think there's any amount of money that a company like Tencent or NetEase should be able to go out and throw around at these Japanese and American and European developers and say, hey, come with us. We got money. We'll fund you. I think. At some point, you have a moral dilemma, and you have to ask yourself, am I going to kowtow to this evil money and 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 do the wrong thing, or am I going to stick with literally any other option? Literally any other option. These two guys in particular had, a, had great standing with Sega and were in great positions of power and had no real financial reason why they had to leave. Didn't have to leave. 
they chose to leave. And I think that is a morally false decision to make. I think that is a poor decision to make from a moral standpoint. You see all these startups, all these small studios, all these independent developers taking money from these companies, you know, NetEase, Tencent, all these guys, like invest in us, give us your money, buy us out, whatever it is. You don't think like there aren't a million other companies that would be interested in investing in you. You know, if NetEase is willing to give you X amount of dollars, you don't think there's someone, there's some other Western or Japanese publisher or developer that might be interested in throwing some money your way. But they always go with the money from the communist Chinese government that's also like disappearing Uyghurs and murdering their own people and shit like that. But whatever. Not allowed to criticize the Chinese government. Uh, but you can, but we can, you know, Kotaku won't write the article on this kind of shit, right? But they'll write the they'll write the article on cockfighting, right? Because you know, God forbid, some fucking fictional video game chickens fight each other to the death in a Tekken arcade minigame style, right? But uh, no, don't worry, it's okay. We can just uh, keep retaining that China's awesome, that the Chinese government's awesome, and that you know, Taiwan's not a country, and that we're not fucking murdering and disappearing thousands of people all the time whatever it's everything's good all right wrap up story call of duty vanguard i know you hate it but this is an interesting one a pair of call of duty vanguard writers have said they want to help create two sequels to the game discussing the upcoming shooter and its prequel comic and its prequel comic during a new york comic con panel sledgehammer games contractor sam mags said said she hopes that vanguard's characters can become new mascots for the blockbuster franchise over multiple series entries. She said, quote, we came to this process by saying, how do we make it? How do we make the iconic COD characters? Because, you know, you don't really have that in Call of Duty right now. She said, you know, when you think about a game like Halo, you think of Master Chief. But when you think about COD, there's nothing you really there's none of those characters that really stand out. And so we came to this being like, who could be the flagship COD characters? Because we want to make Vanguard 2 and Vanguard 3 because we have two more stories that we really want to tell with these characters we've created. So we're hoping that if people love them as much as we do, that we get to continue the story of these people and make them sort of like figureheads for this era of Call of Duty, basically. Okay, so I love what what Sam Mags is saying here, and I also absolutely disagree with it. Because at the same token, it's like, I, I agree. I think Call of Duty could benefit from some really memorable characters, really memorable story events, some really memorable campaign moments. I love that. I would love if Call of Duty doubled down, tripled down on campaign and we're like, hey, you know what? We're going to make a badass fucking campaign and all y'all motherfuckers are going to be saying, wow, that was Call of Duty. I thought that was um, Taken 4 starring Jason Statham, Rodham Clinton and that it was a, a really good, compelling movie about a guy trying to save his daughter or whatever the fuck that movie's about. I don't know. And people would love it, and then they would buy the DVD, and then they would tell their friends, and they would pirate it, whatever the fuck it is you're supposed to do with stories you enjoy watching. But I agree. I think Call of Duty sorely needs that. Halo absolutely is a perfect example. Halo has that. Um, there are tons and tons of games that have that. Call of Duty definitely needs that. Here's where I disagree with her. Call of Duty has absolutely had that. Call of Duty actually still kind of has that. The problem is Call of Duty is hit or miss on it. I, I mean, the Modern Warfare games, I'm not as big a Modern Warfare guy as some other people. I mean, you got Soap and all those characters who people absolutely love. Um, so that's completely ridiculous to just write that off. As a bigger Black Ops fan myself, are you fucking kidding me? Black Ops has tons of... Mason, Al Woods, Hudson, 
And then even more recently in Black Ops Cold War, fucking um, Adler. He's fucking awesome. Adler is a, a, a fantastic character who fits right in on the Black Ops universe. And I, I, I walk, I don't know, I walk away from, I walk away from playing Black Ops Cold War and I'm like, I kind of wish Russell Adler were in the older Black Ops games too because he fits in so goddamn well. So you've got, you know, I don't know, you've got like Price from 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 Modern Warfare. You got Alex Mason, Frank Woods, uh, Russell Adler, Hudson, all those guys. Um, and then, I mean, if you, you can even get into the fucking Nazi zombies characters where you got a bunch of memorable characters there as well, like Dempsey and and Takio or, and uh, Sam and all those fucking characters. Like, Call of Duty has tons and tons of memorable characters. Now, I will say, Sledgehammer's Call of Duty's never had memorable characters between COD World War II and COD Advanced Warfare. Um, Infinite Warfare didn't have memorable characters. Uh, Black Ops 3 didn't have memorable characters. So yeah, a lot of these more recent COD games during like the Xbox One era sorely lacked true, memorable, lovable COD characters. But I don't know, man, like... Modern Warfare 1, 2, and Black Ops, and Black Ops 2, and Black Ops Cold War, and Modern Warfare 2019. I'd argue these games absolutely have... Now, are they Master Chief quality characters? No. But, dude, fucking Frank Woods from Black Ops 1 and 2, that's, dude, that's like the most iconic Call of Duty character there is. His fucking personality, he's like just dropping F-bombs every two seconds, being a total badass, talking about the Vietnam War and shit with, with Alex Mason, like that... That's the most iconic Call of Duty character to me. I just, I feel like this this person's kind of underselling and writing off some of the importance of the very franchise she has the opportunity to be a part of. But also, I agree with what she's saying in that she wants to try to capture that spirit. Here's the bigger point. Sledgehammer doesn't have that. Clearly what's happening with Call of Duty right now is... Activision, whether it's Activision or everyone's individually come up to the same conclusion, which I doubt, I assume this is Activision, they want these teams to find their their independent sub-brand and lean hard into it. What was the most successful thing Infinity Ward ever did? It was Modern Warfare. Not Ghosts, not Infinite Warfare, it was Modern Warfare. So, we're back to Modern Warfare, we're back to those characters, we're back to those stories, boom. What was the most compelling thing Treyarch ever did? It wasn't Call of Duty 3, it wasn't Black Ops 3, it wasn't Black Ops 4, it was the OG Black Ops 1 and 2 games. Those were the, so that's what they did with Cold War. We went back to that kind of Black Ops, the Cold War Vietnam era Black Ops, the the, the Mason the Mason and Woods kind of stories and all that shit. We're back to that. And so what we've seen is like everyone's kind of comfortably getting into their sub-brand of Call of Duty, right? Sledgehammer never had it because they've only made two Call of Duty games. They were both unrelated to each other and they both equally failed at making memorable stories and characters. So if what they're trying to say here is Vanguard is our attempts at building a Black Ops. It's our attempts at building a Modern Warfare. I love that. More power to you. I fucking love that. I know people like to shit on the idea of Call of Duty being in World War II, but I actually think it's really cool to think about Call of Duty in three pillars. You have the World War II Call of Duty, then you have the Cold War, Vietnam, Korea War, kind of like, I don't know, like, like 50s through, through like 50s, 60s, 70s kind of era Call of Duty. And then you have the modern warfare Call of Duty, which is like, you know, like maybe like 05 to maybe slightly near future-ish, where it's like 2030 or something like that. You know, that kind of time frame, that 20-year gap. I, I think that's the perfect way to handle Call of Duty. You have the past, 
the middle part and the in the present, like like the far past, and in that way you kind of cover the spectrum of war. You get like the earlier like the the early days of like fully automatic fun weapons like World War II, and then you get like the kind of mid years with the, all that Vietnam Cold War shit, and then you get like the modern cool super techie stuff. Stay away from the future warfare shit because every time Call of Duty does it, it fucking sucks. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. But I think this is cool. I, I love this idea of like, let's have these three distinct eras of Call of Duty represented. So, you know, maybe you don't like World War II. Well, don't worry. Play the other Call of Duties. They'll be out the next year, right? Maybe you don't like Modern Warfare. No big deal. Stay stay put. The, the World War II one will be back in a year or two. I like having those different settings to kind of rotate with. And I understand what they're saying here is kind of like, we need Vanguard or we want Vanguard to be our Black Ops, to be our Modern Warfare. But I don't think you should discredit the contributions of Black Ops and Modern Warfare in saying that, which is kind of what she does here. But also, that that also puts a lot of pressure on them. Because remember, no one had any expectation of what Modern Warfare was going to be in, in 2007 when it came out. It just came out, it was fucking phenomenal, and changed the world, and was amazing. Everyone loved it. And that was the start of that. Black Ops, everyone was like kind of pumped for it, but like... Also, at the same time, it was like, all right, you're the uh, you're the second guy. You're not the more you're not the modern warfare guys. You know, World at War was pretty good, but like, let's let's see what you got. And then Black Ops came out and was like, whoa, this is fucking good. This is a real big step up from like Call of Duty Three. And you know, Treyarch stuck their uh, their their flag in the ground there. Sledgehammer has yet to do that. They've yet to put out a really solid Call of Duty game. And Vanguard's coming out in time where no one wants World War II Call of Duty. No one even likes Call of Duty right now. It's really popular. I mean, obviously, people like it. It's going to be the best-selling game of the year. But it's really popular to hate on Call of Duty and to be down on it and to trash it and to make YouTube videos talking about why Vanguard's going to suck, even though it's going to sell more copies than you could ever hope to imagine. But I guess what I'm saying is Sledgehammer is trying to make their magnum opus, their brand of Call of Duty, their stake in the ground, their modern warfare, their black ops in a time where seemingly everything's against them. Everyone keeps saying Battlefield and Halo are better this year. Who gives a shit about Call of Duty? Everyone's saying, why is Call of Duty going back to World War II? Nobody wants that. Everybody's saying Sledgehammer's the worst. They make the worst Call of Duties. Why do we care what they are doing? That's not saying they can't do it, but they sure have a lot of bias to work against if they're going to make this happen. That's all I'm saying. So that's going to do it for all of our news this week, guys. Let's quick jump into the important enough news. Stories important enough to make the podcast not important enough to warn their own discussion. So first one, Ubisoft has delayed its closed test for its recently announced Ghost Recon Frontline game without explanation. In a message posted on Twitter, they said, we have decided it's best to postpone the closed test for Tom Clancy's Ghost Recon Frontline. The development team is dedicated to creating the best experience possible. We'll share more details uh, for the closed test as soon as we can. Thank you. All right, so that's postponed. Next up. VGC reports that COD series crea uh, creator and Modern Warfare developer Infinity Ward has opened a new uh, office in Austin, Texas. The new development team has joined the existing ones in Polo, Mexico, and California, which is, of course, the original. Infinity Ward is expanding to uh, their studio and excited to announce the creation of Infinity Ward Austin. That was what the tweet said. Next, Windows Central reports that Master Chief Collection Season 8, dubbed Mythic, the final season of Halo Master Chief Collection, is now releasing it is available on xbox and pc this season features new armor sets for halo 3 uh inspired which are also usable in halo reach 
inspired by ancient warriors in history of mythology. There are also several new skins for weapons and vehicles as well. Additionally, a new urban style map for Halo 3 called Icebox is also available to play on. That's pretty fucking cool. Can't wait to try that out. And Halo 3 ODST's firefight mode has been expanded with customization options that give it parody with Halo Reach Firefight. The developers were originally planning to do Elites and Flood in Halo 3 ODST Firefight, but these additions aren't quite ready and will now be introduced at a later date. Notably, though, you can choose between waves of Forerunner Sentinels. I'm going to fucking add that in. That is exciting. I need to get around to that. And then next, Windows Central reports that Jeff Strain, the veteran of Blizzard Entertainment and founder of both ArenaNet and Undead Labs, have announced that a new studio called Possibility Space uh, has been formed. The announcement was made Wednesday. Joining Strain are veterans of the games industry, newcomers alike, um, including Austin Walker from Vice as IP director and Liz England from Ubisoft as narrative director and Jane from Campos and Jane NG Jane I don't know how to say that it's just NG from Campo Santo as visual director of the people that make Firewatch Strange's former studio Undead Labs is of course notably uh, notable for us as it was acquired by Microsoft in 2018 as part of the game Xbox Game Studios working on State of Decay 3 at the moment. Next, Xbox Wire has shared that Xbox in celebration of their 20th anniversary this year um, has released the or has released for pre-order an Xbox wireless controller 20th anniversary special edition one and stereo headset as well both will launch on november 15th and are available now for pre-order and finally epic games is reportedly considering making a Fortnite movie to that i just say stop all right guys that's going to do it for all of our news this week i'm going to skip the new game releases of the week since we are running pretty damn long although i will say just as a quick little note of course back for blood Available now through Game Pass and everything. Disco Elysium is now available as well on Game... So not on Game Pass, on Xbox. Series X and X X and S Enhanced. So just want to point both of those big releases out there as well. Oh, and also NHL 2022 um, is out October 15th. So you can download that as well. And then as a reminder for Games of Gold, we have Arrow, uh, which is available the rest of the month. Hover, which is only available till the 15th, so download it now if you listen to this when the podcast goes live. Same with Castlevania, Harmony of Despair, only had till the 15th, and then starting on the 16th and running through the 31st, you got Resident Evil Code, Veronica X. So guys, that is it. It's a long episode, so I gotta get to editing this bad bitch, but please follow me on Twitter at Jesse DeRosa for updates on the stream and the podcast and for general shenanigans. Follow the Twitch stream at lightningmixstream on twitch.tv. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, whatever, SoundCloud. Leave five-star reviews. Subscribe to the YouTube page. Please, please, please support me, guys. Help me grow. Give me a reason to live. Please do something. Please, please, please. Oh, my God. The show's ending, and I'm just... I'm here on my knees. I'm begging you. Please, baby. Please give me a reason to do this. Please. I need you. I need you. And now the music's started. I'm being drowned out. You can't really hear me. Oh, no, 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 no. Oh, it's getting louder. How are your dreams? <laughs>